Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. Uh, this is one of your hosts, Mark Branstead. I'm joined, as always, by my intrepid co-hosts. Uh, I have with me uh, Stephen Earl Chambers. Oh, hello. <laughs> I was going to say something funny, but I can't. <laughs> Why? Because Ghost has no lyrics? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and then... Uh, my other co-host uh, is uh, definitely excited to talk to you today about um, uh, ghosts, and that is Eric Anderson. Changed my name to 36 Eric 1. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that one of us is excited tonight. So a little bit later, so what we're doing with this album, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about 2008, uh, but we actually had a uh, guest appearance on this episode and we'll have that conversation a little bit later um but it's between eric and a friend of the show greg wolgast and might, we'll get to that might i interject yeah uh that conversation uh that you're gonna hear be really good with greg friend of the show who is a uh, another another uh caucasian heterosexual male yeah okay we uh, we made plans for our next show to have a guest who was a female. Yes. So look forward to that. That's right. Uh, Diversity. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag. We try what we yeah. can. We just we're sitting here and we realize we're like, oh man, we all, you know, it, it's the, the joke that the, the the podcast demographic is typically just you know boring middle aged men talking. So. Yep. We're doing our part. There's many colors in the Nine Inch Nails rainbow. But that's yeah, nothing yeah. to disparage the great talk, the, the, the guests we've had, and the guests you'll hear later. Yeah, I mean, I'm always up for different perspectives, and uh, it's not to say that we just need a token female voice on this. Um, the guest we have lined up for the next episode, I'm really excited to hear uh, her, her take and her perspective on Nine Inch Nails, and of course, uh, God willing, her perspective on uh, the next album. Uh, which would be the slip. Yes. Anyhow, I, I digress. <clears throat> it's like a meeting at work. Steve's digressing again. Oh, yes. Uh, speaking of which, Steve is on a strict uh, uh, timetable. So uh, if you hear him kind of dip out or not hear his voice throughout this whole episode, uh, you'll understand why. Yeah, Eric it's, finally killed him. <laughs> that and the fact that he probably is getting some much-needed Zs while after listening to Ghosts. Exactly. Uh, all right, rude. Double. <laughs> well, you know, double I, you know what? That's, uh, that's funny rude. Mark says that because a little peek into the real world. Uh, my wife has been having bouts with uh, trying to sleep lately. She's been having fitful sleeping. It happens to the best of us. And uh, she's been trying to find the right, you know, the right uh, way to modulate her her real life uh, daytime existence. So at the end of the day, she gets maximized sleep. And I don't know how I didn't just the answers right in front of me. It's this album. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Selected ambient works by FX Twin works wonders. As oh well. yeah, Volume Two. That Linux sleeps to that one. Yeah. Uh, rumor is Aphex Twin is releasing something new this week. Yes, he was going to premiere it on Adult Swim uh, on Monday night, uh, but it did not pass whatever FCC kind of laws. So there's something about the visuals and the sound. It was too crazy. Probably, it was probably like that Pokemon thing. It's probably going to give people seizures, so they couldn't they couldn't put it out there. But anyways, yeah, there, there's going to be a new EP. Well, In this day and age, I'm surprised anything can. I, the, I don't even know what the FCC cares about. Anymore. It's not. It wasn't for content. It was for like something about the visuals and the sound. It was like it, I'm sure there was like lights and strobes that were not kosher for TV. So, 
Um, so before we get into uh, the album, obviously we'd like to do a little bit of uh, the time capsule where we were in 2008, what the world was doing in pop culture in 2008, um, and then a little background on this album. Um, is there anything on the the news n- NIN desk? On the uh, Nine Inch Newswire? Yeah. Do we need to catch up with anything? Let's see. There's been a lot of good interviews lately just because he's doing the press rounds for the new album and the uh, upcoming tour. But no new news that I can think of. He hasn't told anybody to fillet him. Nope. Mm -hmm. Um, There may or may not be another soundtrack in the works, but like for a musical, but uh, they couldn't confirm that. It was called Waves or something. They couldn't. They couldn't confirm it. Well, very, really? very vague. Huh. Yeah. A couple of things in in that plethora of interviews that all seem to be. When you read this stuff all at the same time, you realize that it's slight variations on the same answers because they're usually getting asked the same questions. By this week, it's Kerrang. Now it's the Guardian. Yeah. But um, I do like that. Uh, he did mention they were talking about what out like. Uh, when you were a kid, when you got a record, even if it was challenging or middling, you had to stick with it because you didn't have access to every album in the world at your fingertips. And he said that uh, the examples that he used, used two really good examples of this. He said that uh, one of them was, uh, Eric, what's the uh, Sandinistas by The Clash? Yeah. He said, yeah. you know, it's, it's a good album, but it's not your go-to Clash album. No. But he listened to the hell out of that one because it came out. And he just bought it, and he wanted to listen to the new Clash music, so he stuck with it. Uh, the other one he used, which he says is the... He said it's one of the best albums of all time, is uh, Talking Heads Remain in the Light. Mm. Which, okay. uh, you hear a lot of that in Hesitation Marks. Yeah. Uh, also, there's a couple of interviews with Atticus Ross, which I think is cool, because he's kind of the guy behind the guy. Yeah. And you don't hear from him much, so... They're out there. Google them up. But uh, no new, no nine inch news worth worth a damn. Well, excellent. Um, so this album it came out in March of two thousand eight. Two thousand eight saw two uh, releases by Nine Inch Nails, uh, Ghosts, and later on in the summer uh, we saw The Slip. Um, in two thousand eight, uh, where were you at, Eric? Oh man, two thousand eight was a big year um, because. I had been married the previous year, and we were pregnant with uh, baby number one, going to be Lennox, and it was a, it was a kind of a scary pregnancy. We didn't, you know, there was a good chance it wasn't going to happen. So yeah, um, so there was some, and then and then during all that, we had moved. We were moved from downtown to my parents' house because we knew we were going to be relocating to Washington State, which we did within a year after this album dropping. So I do remember though one of my last few months downtown. This came out and. Uh, and, uh, you know, all the nervousness of all the big life changes going on, I um, put it on and was definitely going through an instrumental music phase anyway, specifically instrumental hip-hop. I was going crazy for, like, Mad Lib, MF Doom. Um, yeah, a few years later, I'd get into, like, Clams Casino, but that kind of thing. And um, and just instrumental music in general, especially, like, short-form instrumental music, as much as I love Godspeed and, and Mogwai, it was kind of fun to hear these these small little productions of super lush, rich... Rich, rich music, and uh, you know this definitely struck a chord for me right off the bat. So, how about you, Stephen? Where were you in two thousand and eight? Oh, I think let's, I just let's let's make it a little more specific. Spring of two thousand eight. Okay, I just moved to San Francisco. I cannot remember if I moved down there in the, the end of two thousand seven or early two thousand eight, but I was living in San Francisco at this time, and 
whole new batch of friends, getting to meet them and whatnot. Uh, when the album first came, I, th- I think I, I kind of, I, I'm going to be honest. When this album first came out, I think I listened to it once. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's a curiosity. Talk to you later. Probably didn't listen to it for years after that. And that might be blasphemy to some because this album, as much as I say, like I, I kind of mock it, it's just because it's too much. It's just too much. But there's a lot of good stuff in here. But some people swear by this. They think it's uh, like if you do the top five, they might rank it number three. Unbelievable. On the old internet. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, yeah, 2008, living in San Francisco, kept in touch with all you guys. Actually, Eric mentions this. This is about when our fellowship was kind of breaking up because I, I went to San Francisco. Yep. When Eric mentioned that he moved to Washington. Yep. And uh, actually, in my phone to this day, even though I've gone through like 25 iPhones, uh, one of the few things I carry over to each one is in my contacts. Your guys' photos are from the night Eric left of the uh, the party we had at that house. Oh, party. yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah it was fun. fun. Those, those have been your contact photos for both of you ever since. <laughs> but, uh, nice. Me and my yeah, flat hat and my vest, my sweater vest and flat is hat. Is that the one where we were uh, posing with Toby, trying to look all Probably. Uh, yeah, break, yeah. break dancing. There's some break dancing involved. You yeah. had a really cool little troubadour hat that ended up yeah, that, being lost that, didn't that la- night. It didn't last long because uh, these were these were nearing these were when my wife, future wife, and I were starting to have our very passionate on again off again. A very long oh, yes. engagement. Yes. And yes. She, uh, <laughs> one of the many things that she uh, she made me get rid of that hat. It was a stupid hat. Uh, it was your uh, it looked like your some Tom Eric, Waits hat. It looked yeah. like something Eric could wear. It would, um, yeah. Anyhow, yeah, I moved to San Francisco and uh, rode a fixed gear without brakes everywhere like I was a cool guy. All right. But I was more of a jackass. I remember that was spring of 2008. I came and visited you, and we went to the WonderCon. That's right. In San Francisco. That was an amazing time. That was an all-day drunk. That was a fun juice, yes. Uh, Eric and I are lifelong comic readers, and Mark is to an extent, too. Uh, Eric and I, I think, are a little bit more into it. And I just say that because the only comic conventions I've been to... I went to one with my brother, and then I went to a couple with Eric. And, uh, yeah, WonderCon was one of them. We got to see Jillian Anderson, who's often mentioned on that list on this show. Yeah. And uh, a couple years later, we went to one in Seattle called Emerald City. And it was uh, often, I'm just going to say it right now, if if Eric and I are hanging out together all day and a weekend, we're going to end up drinking more than we should. Oh, yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, and true. this has been a constant in our lives for our entire friendship. Uh, we were told that day that we smelled like grandpa's liquor cabinet. By oh yeah. I ran into an old, an old coworker, not yeah. an old coworker, a current coworker. Well, uh, that's yeah. even better. A current coworker. Yeah. 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 It, was probably, it was probably the 19 year old, 19 year old girl. And she said we like grandpa's liquor cabinet. Uh, <laughs> well, we look, probably looked like her grandpa. We were, you know, we yeah. were still, uh, a funny yeah. curiosity from 2008 for us also is we started our first podcast together called yes. long distance relationship. Yeah, don't look it up. Don't look it up. This uh, doesn't it's, exist. It's still a very, it's, it's not available on no, iTunes. No, no, the feed. No, no, no. The feed. Well, it got pulled like Alex Jones did. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Alex Jones does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Eric and I's first attempt at a podcast. Uh, the audio quality is eight hundred times worse than the first episode of this podcast. Yeah, and uh, our whole thing was that we were buddies, but we were just talking long distance. Well, it had no rhyme or reason. It had no structure. I did guest on one episode. I do. You did. Yeah. Yeah. And what, one, yeah. That would have been a first incarnation of Pod Like a Whole. That's it yes. was just a funny connection. The reason why I bring it up is because I was at a bachelor party last weekend, and, and one of my brother, my little, is for my little brother, one of his friends who I hadn't talked to since he was a teenager. I guess somehow in a Facebook feed or something, 
he found out about the podcast, and even though I barely know the guy, he listened to our entire show, uh, and he said it got him through some stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I thought it was amazing. He, he worked. He, he worked. sang the theme song back to me, which was I thought was a, the long distance relationship theme <laughs> yeah. song. Yeah, he was worked, amazing. Yeah. He, he worked through some issues. Yeah. <laughs> so you uh, know, just the power of friendship. Was big shout out to to Tyler because I did I did pimp this new show. I was like, if you like that, you're, you're gonna, gonna love. love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, my stepdad is asking me, but yeah, my mom's mentioned that my she listened to this podcast. And tonight, my stepdad was asking what I'm doing. I stopped by their house to pick up the boy. And I was like, oh, I'm going to re- record my podcast. He's never listened to a podcast in his life. And he's like, you know, what do you guys just, you just record it, and then it goes on the internet? It's like, yes. He's like, well, what do you guys talk about? Do you have a structure? I was like, yeah, we go through all these Nine Nails records. And I was like, oh, that's great. And I thought, my mom says she's listening to this. Is she listening to it in secret? Has she not yeah, once yeah. brought it up? <clears throat> yeah. Do they not talk? Also, it would be funny if he thinks that, you know, or somebody out there thinks that if you go, just go into your internet browser and there's a record button and you yeah. just can record your voice and then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a version. You know, you can kind of people sign, uh, yeah. live cast their, true. their stuff. Sure. So, Mark, what were you doing in 2008? Uh, while you guys were leaving uh, downtown Midtown Sacramento, uh, I was moving to Midtown downtown right. Sacramento. Yeah. Um, and I was living with my wife. Jen, but she wasn't my wife yet. We didn't get married until 2011. They had a long courtship. Long. It was uh, 10 years. I want to even say there was a good stretch where, like, Mark and Jen are, yeah, we're kind of like, you know, what's a marriage besides a piece of paper? Oh, yeah. yeah. There was definitely what are we trying some to of that prove? going on. It wasn't until the big 3 0 hit that we decided, like, if we do want to have kids, uh, we have to be traditional about it, you know? Untuck your sweater. Untuck your sweater over there, buddy. Uh, no. Well, I never. I mean, my word. Um, so. No, but it was for the tax breaks, anyhow. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the kids mean, and the marriage. <laughs> so that's where I was in 2008. I was still working at a record store, um, and I was working with Eric's wife at the time. And I do remember when she was pregnant with Lennox, right? Uh, uh, their firstborn and you know yeah it was uh it was a hard pregnancy and i i was there to see her go through it and um when this album came out uh i was pretty excited about it um and it had a different release type of schedule this was the first release outside of interscope and it was released independently so there was a internet release then there was a regular two cd release and uh, an ultra deluxe and a deluxe edition. The ultra deluxe was like three hundred dollars. Um, the deluxe edition was seventy five, and then the two CD was like ten bucks. If you're then, listening to this, and you are because you're hearing it, and you bought that three hundred dollar deluxe version, share with us. Post on the Facebook page how you felt when you got it and you listened to it, and if it was worth the three hundred dollars. Well, I mean, to your point, like uh, you had earlier said that. You know, if someone was willing to shell out $300, I'm sure they sat down and forced themselves to really like this. And the thing is, like, I do really like instrumental music. Uh, Like Eric was talking about, Godspeed You Black Emperor, um, uh, Mogwai. Mogwai. Yeah, Mogwai is one of the greatest bands of all time. Um, Those are uh, explosions in the sky. You know, I do enjoy those, that type of post rock, I guess people would call that. Um, Mm, Explosions in the sky kind of have one song. But this one yes. here is more well, yeah. The Friday Night Lights, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, soundtrack for the movie, um, and then it was aped uh, pretty, uh, pretty much all throughout the television series. But 
I mean, I do like instrumental music. This is more of an ambient soundscape album than it is actually fully realized. Um, and it's not to say that I don't like some of it, but it, as Steve was saying, uh, 36 tracks is quite a bit much. If they had potentially released these as little EPs um, and they kind of sprinkled them throughout, uh, I may have been a little bit more uh, involved in it. That would have been, yeah, you know, actually that would have been cool if it was a... Uh just like over a, cor- a course of like three years, just a, right. an EP just with like nine tracks on it or something. Exactly. I probably would have liked it more. <clears throat> yeah. And a little bit more selective. Like some of them, some of them give the tossed off songs on the fragile deviations. Those give this a run for their money on some of them. Mm. I'm just like, all right. I think a big jingle part of jangle it, running in the same place to the next song. I right. think a big part of my positive reaction to it initially um, was the fact that like, Back when I was huge into Nine Inch Nails, back when I, when I was a you know preteen, I loved a lot of those remixes, those instrumental remixes. That since we've talked about, you guys were like didn't even couldn't even tell the difference between other ones. Like for some reason, all the weird stuff that he could pull out and turn into an instrumental song like that appealed to me early on. So I was kind of predisposed to kind of like this. Plus, I was already listening to like a ton of instrumental like hip hop and stuff like that. So and I was like, I already like the Nine Inch Nails kind of sound mm-hmm. and I like instrumental music. It's like a it's like a perfect match. And funny enough, we were talking about how, how my wife, Heather, when she heard <laughs> Hand That Feed, she's like, <laughs> she she like uh, this was actually she farted. <laughs> this is actually I told you it was a hard pregnancy. <laughs> oh boy, no! But she might, said, might I add that the, the pregnancy resulted in Lennox uh, Theodore Anderson. Yes, one of the greatest and smartest children I've ever met. Yeah, wonderful child, wonderful Absolutely. child, very talented. Uh, but um, anyways, uh, she actually likes this this album quite a bit. So I and mean, she's a big Tangerine Dream fan. So oh, there you, yeah, yeah. You know, the, you that know, makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. Is uh, and I do have a point. I'm about to say is that as we go through these and we get to the newer albums our lives become more boring like Eric right now is going to be he's going into the most boring period of his life he's going to get married and have a kid move away to an icy cold place uh, I'm still kind of living it up uh, Mark's uh, you know during 2008 he means yes not, not, not now Jesus yeah. Christ I, I re- <laughs> Uh, I'm the most boring man This is now. seen as a night out with the boys. Yeah, that's this, right. This is, this is a night out and I have a curfew. Uh, <laughs> my point being, though, is we slowly fall off as, as, with our, as our families become more important and uh, we, we just become duller in real life. Uh, so does Trent Reznor. And I bet you there's not much to say about what was going on when this album was recorded. Oh, that's a good <laughs> transition there. Yeah, so what, was, what, was, what were Nine Inch Nails doing? So, uh, Year Zero uh, was released in 2006. They toured uh, quite extensively for that. It was a high-concept record. Um, They obviously had a huge falling out with Interscope Records um, and Universal, who distributed Interscope. And so this particular uh, foray, uh, this album entry, was recorded in 10 weeks, um, and it was seen as the most democratic uh, version of Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They basically used it to improvise, experiment. Uh, as Trent Reznor said, they were just going to go into the studio, close their eyes, uh, play some musical instruments, and release it as something. Um, they weren't going to overthink it. They were just going to just instinctually let whatever was moving them, uh, you know, guide the the music. And I do think that as they were recording, before they would sit down and record, um, 
they would either think of a particular image or scene and then try to score that um, based off of that image. And um, this was in, in – uh, both Adrian Ballou and Robin Fink are on this record? Robin Fink is not. Uh, oh, that surprises it's me. Adrian it's, Ballou, uh, and, uh, Alessandro Cortini, Cortini. Um, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and then the drummer from uh, the Dresden Dolls uh, drums right. a few tracks. Uh, his name is Brian... I'm sorry, yeah, I don't. I, it, it, his last name starts with a V. Um, but yeah, he's on this record. So but Adrian, yeah, Robin Fink is not on this. Adrian Ballou then must have had a pretty big influence on this because that's some King Crimson stuff. They have albums that are just all in, mm-hmm. improvised. Yeah, you know. uh, so, all those albums are better than this. But yes, now I know when I'm looking on the which we often reference, which uh, which we should yeah the Nin Wiki. Um, we need to get ourselves on there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the Nin Wiki has a photograph to go with every song. So that was obviously like a combined art project. Who was the photo- photographer on that? And like, was that part of the big box set? Or where would it you see It was part those? of the big box set. Yeah. There was, um, I guess, two photographs were embedded into the uh, MP3. And then a PDF, I believe, was in the Ultra Deluxe. And sometimes they were cropped, but most of the times they were not. Um, and I think who did the photography was Rob Sheridan. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, uh, artists in residence. I don't know if it's a collective of sorts, but, um, I mostly was Rob Sheridan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually envy a nine inch nails fan that became a fan. Let's say their introduction to the band was with teeth and they were 14. And so then when this album came out, they're in their late teens and the late teens would be the perfect time for something like this to come out with all these photos embedded in it and all this extra stuff to, to dig through. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. I I had no time for it. I didn't even know about these hidden photos until now. So, um, at the time I, it was, yeah, I listened to it maybe a handful of times, maybe once or twice all the way through. I would always try to start and then I'd usually... Uh, pull out that first disc and uh, listen to something else uh, as I was driving down the street because you know it's it's not really good driving music it's good for thoughtful introspective reading in your study type music rather than playing video games too yeah mm-hmm. reading comic books cleaning the house oh, yeah no it's, it's good it's good well yeah that's what a good instrumental background stuff can do and it also I mean there's no way a uh, big broad overview of this is that when I do listen to it it definitely Nice Nails made an instrumental song before, of course. But this is this without this, I don't know what the soundtracks that come later sound like. They definitely they're this is the genesis of all of the soundtracks that him and Atticus Ross made later. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There, there's there's some tracks in here that I didn't compare them. There might there might be some parts in here that directly got used. Yeah, in they, there was an entire song that okay. got used, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or one or two, right? Yeah, the one in particular was used in the social network, um, but it is slightly different. Okay, if you listen to them back to back, they're I mean super reminiscent of one another, but there are actually real gotcha. differences. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and like, don't get me wrong, I'm not putting this on and like rocking out like I'm listening to Wish for the first time, but it's, but I don't think there was a year that went by that I didn't just like make like a master playlist on my iPod iPod at that time and then later iPhone that sure. had like pretty much all four discs because every time you know a song came on like I you know I was I was intrigued and couldn't turn it off yeah so I mean um yeah uh what was I gonna say I forgot I, so it's a great radio right so that's where they were <laughs> that's where they were that and we all kind of had our reactions to it but uh 
2008 um, was an interesting year. So let's hear about 2008. Sure. I Which mean, Mission Impossible movie came out in 2008? I don't think of none, 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 none of them. None but I can tell you what, the one that Mark and I saw two days ago was great, and you should go see it. That'd be Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, very good. <laughs> very good. I'm still on the fence of whether it was the best one, but it's it's high quality. Guys, I'm glad you hung out and went and saw a movie together. Fantastic. Yeah, it was even, I'm going <laughs> to go see Teen Titans Go this uh, weekend, so what are you going to do about that? <laughs> Not see it. The best part about it was that you weren't there. Wow, so rude. <laughs> Incredible and absolutely incredible. Just okay. So, um, guys, uh, let's talk about the news a little bit. What do you What do you say? Let's hear it. Um, so, George Bush was what? This is last year as president. George W. Bush. George, George W. Bush on his way out during a pre- press conference in Baghdad. At this point, uh, Barack Hussein Obama has already been entered into office, though. Oh. Actually, no. I, I, I no. This corrected. is this is the this election year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Year, I mean, he's campaigning right. hard. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, Absolutely. so we're going. Yeah, we're going through the whole Hillary and uh, Barack thing. And sometimes, man, I just wonder if maybe if the whole reaction to the pretty good Obama presidency has it been worth what we're dealing with now? Would the lunatics of the would the would the Klan have come and just out of the shadows like they have if? We would have had a, a white lady president. Well, you know, well, I don't you don't know fall if, so low if you don't get so high in the first place. If that makes sense. I don't know. I think the deck, deck was like always stacked against Hillary Clinton. I, I really do. Without making it a hot take, I, I don't know. I, I'm a fan. I voted for her. Um, I didn't vote for her in the primary uh, in 2008 or in 2016, but I did vote for her in general. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Of course. Because there was Nazis at the door. Yeah. That's right. They're running all over the place. That's right. Um, but anyways, during a during a press conference in Baghdad, um, Amun Tadar al Zaidi, and I don't know his title, but uh, threw a shoe at President W. Oh, Bush. Yes. I remember that. Why can't somebody throw a shoe at the new guy and make good hard contact? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so uh top song. Oh, wait, we're going to go that do that later. Um let's see here. I I, I went over these earlier. Uh while Eric looks through his phone, Eric like told it. me that he got cornered uh at the bachelor oh, party. Oh, right. And uh he got convinced, guys. He's <laughs> wearing his maga hat right now. <laughs> That's right. No, I, I I had a distant family member who's actually a like married one of, married a cousin of mine. Um I mean, he was a nice guy. He was very nice, very sweet to me all weekend. But then he waited until I was very, very drunk and cornered me in the cor- do it. corner of the kitchen and talked politics for two and a half hours. God, that sounds miserable. And he, and he <laughs> said, he said, he, and I knew that side of the family is like conservative. So I was going to be like a good boy all weekend. I wasn't sure. going to get into it. Sure. I was just going to be nice, talk about beer, talk about movies. Uh, he says, now tell me, what would you do? What, how, what do you think the ideal America is? I promise I won't get mad no matter what you say. Oh, and, I, and I did this thing. I was like, oh, well, you know, there's two philosophies. You know, one is you, you, you go to work and you, and you get your money and you put it into your palace, your family. Um, or you do the same thing. You put it back into your community. And that's kind of more of the, the philosophy that I agree with. You know, taxes should go into nice, building a community. And, and, he, and he said, well, now you piss me off. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. That was his immediate reaction. <laughs> really? <laughs> and so it went about three hours of... Of 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 that, doesn't and, believe in the greater good. All right, that's interesting. No, it's uh, 
This is the what whole, separates us from animals. This is the whole Randian take what's yours. People that are people that have empathy are weak. No right? gods, no kings. Only. Well, I think the argument was that people. <laughs> the only thing that's ever given. The us argument is was that shot. humans will just uh, abuse abuse it and then just live off nothing. Which I mean, you know, is is a is an is an extreme. Would you kindly? So kindly. Anyways, that's right. guys, that's that's my life, and you can you know you don't know the listeners don't necessarily need to hear that, but you, but anyways. We um, always enjoy a good conversation. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, World Series champions were Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> yep, they played the Tampa Bay uh, uh, Devil Rays. Look at that, and the Captain yeah. Trivia over there. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, they've been. They're actually getting good again, finally. They are. It took a decade. It's kind of unexpected, too. Yeah. The uh, Super Bowl champs were the New York Giants. Uh-huh. They played probably the Patriots. Probably. Actually, and, yeah, wasn't that one that I, that I rarely... The, the NFL can come and go for all I care. But I do remember a good Super Bowl now and again. And I think that might have been the one where they did play the Patriots and yeah. there's some kind of interception at the end that was a yep. good old time. Yeah, it was an upset for, yeah. for New England. That was fun. Mm-hmm. NBA champions were the Boston Celtics. Now, I Celtics. hate... I as a Celtics. rule, <laughs> as a rule... I they just, played the Lakers, I think. They did. Year. Yeah. And as a rule, I despise all Boston sports. All of them. A uh, couple of reasons. One, uh, if we lose a bunch of listeners, I'm sorry. Uh, Bostonians are terrible. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't really mean that. I just kind of mean it when it comes to sports. Uh, two, uh, how many t- uh, half the reason Boston sports fans are terrible is because they've had it so good in the last 18 years. They've won every major title, sometimes multiple times. Yeah, and uh, that just oh really makes you jealous. And then uh, I guess that's all my reasons. But anyhow, that Celtics team I love. That was the one Boston sports team that I I got the fever. That was the Kevin Garnett and uh, Paul Pierce. Uh, oh, there was somebody else on that team worth a damn. Rondo was on that team. It was a good time. I liked that team, and I was glad to beat the Lakers. There yeah. you go. So I, I always reference um, this website. It's, it's pop-culture. Uh, dot US. Ray Allen. Ray Allen was also on that team. Uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Eric, I'm sorry. We moved on. Uh, anyways, they, for a couple years there, they were doing a great job and they were giving male sex symbols too, so it was fair and balanced, but it's back to just females. We're going to have to think of something then. Uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, and. Heath Ledger. Yep. Yeah, he, I think that was he died he this died. year. Died this yeah, year. Because that's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jessica Beale. Um, we had. Uh, Heidi Klum, Colin uh, Farrell. Heidi Klum because uh, because what was it? Uh, what was her? What was the uh, the reality show that was Project Runway? Project One Runway was huge this year. Yeah, Seal, Eva Mendez, not together anymore. Right, Eva Mendez. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Penelope Cruz, Seth Green, Seth Green, huh? Beyonce, Seth Green, <laughs> <laughs> January Jones. I think Mad Men pre- premiered this year. Okay, well then yeah. if we're gonna say January Jones, then we have to say John Hamm. Jonathan, John Hamm, Hamm of course. the most John handsome Hamm. man of all. I think time. Ryan yeah. Gosling was like also another handsome person. Tony Stark's dad did from. Uh, Mad oh yeah, Man? absolutely. Did you guys ever watch Baby Driver? No, not yet. It's not bad. Yeah, I didn't it's see my, it. It's it's uh, not your typical Edgar Wright movie. Um, it's not bad, but it I don't know. Well, then Kevin Spacey's ruined everything for me. Right. It's really. Honestly, usually I can separate the artist from sure. the terrible things they've done. Yeah. For whatever reason, Kevin Spacey and also Bill Cosby, unfortunately. Those two, yeah. it's hard for me to revisit their stuff. 
Reckoning with Cosby being the, the, one of the worst people apparently ever is just... It's like a whole part of your childhood, just a I little know. bit darker. I know. All those memories, a little tainted now. I can that remember... Episode, that great, episode, high school, that high great episode where Theo with the earring in his ear? Yeah. That's yeah. one of the greatest sitcom episodes of all time. Yeah. Bill ruined it. I can remember, like, I had a high school paper I was going to say, and I was going to, like, list, like, top three, like, most, like, respectable celebrities or something. I think I put him in there. Yeah. Just because of the... the, the no, I never. I, I did enjoy the Cosby Show when I was a kid, um, but as soon as he was saying how, oh uh, yeah, the cool. Simpsons were terrible, not upholding family values. I don't remember then, that, but I remember him and doing rap culture. Of yo, course, rap culture that was pulling just, up your pants, people, kind of thing. People that uh, back in the olden days that seemed to think mm-hmm. the Simpsons were a bad influence never watched the show. Right, because there's many episodes of the Simpsons, especially back then, that. Had family values, sure. About yeah, doing what's right, yeah. and at the end of the day, usually, they're they didn't didn't have a full house plinking piano moment at the end, but there was there was some yeah. some. I mean, some if good we can retcon the whole successful uh, African American, uh, then let's make it be Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Uncle Phil. You know, I don't think he's got any clo- uh, skeletons in that no. closet. No, you know? yeah. he is, he is a skeleton in the he closet. He is dead. Yeah, who is the voice of Shredder? Uh, have we talked? Have we ever talked about in the show how good Fresh Prince was? Oh, it's very good. It, that episode uh, where like Will's dad. No, that's a good one. Whew. Yeah, it's, there's many memes of it, but it's good. It's it, good. No, but uh, you know that was a show that never really. I've watched the entire run. It never really got really bad. Towards the end, Will Smith kind of started being like, oh, "I am an actor." And yeah, there's a couple of special, very special episodes. <laughs> very special episodes. But yeah, the stuff with Carlton's still funny. The stuff DJ Jazzy Jeff was always good. Yeah, and they let they you know they even when Aunt Vivian showed up and they swapped her out. Yeah, they made a joke about that that really lands, and it's just uh, yeah. I think a few times Jazzy Jeff noticed that they swapped her out. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Fresh Prince is good. probably one of the biggest uh, new faces on our sex symbols list is Megan Fox. From um, the first Transformers Yeah, because the Transformers those terrible, 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 terrible Transformers That's the only one I've ever seen. Destroyed that, pop that's culture. I mean, I already bought tickets yeah. for Bumblebee, but, you know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you like you know, to skip the middle. The only way they could yeah. salvage that franchise is if they stuck Tom Cruise in there. And trust me, he'd figure it out. <laughs> like he figured out the mummy? Exactly. Jinx. You know, we do have to point I think if we listen to the run of this show that, yeah, we Mark has always been the U two and the Tom Cruise guy, and there. I feel like the world's caught up to Mark now. I've always, I think I've, I've liked a lot of Tom Cruise movies, but lately my passion has been stoked by Mission Impossible franchise, as has it with many people. And Mark's kind of been like, I told you guys this entire time. Well, I knew what I was talking about. It's not just that franchise. If you look at his whole filmography, man, he's it's got solid work. Yeah. I mean, it is modern day classics. Okay, uh, like Days of Thunder. Um, I love, I love how <laughs> I'm trying to get out of here. But we're really, we're we're really dragging this one out, yeah, guys. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I funny. haven't even got to the funny news stories. <laughs> okay, there's only there's only a few here. Um, so uh, some silly little news stories that happened in 2008. Jerry uh, Maguire. They did a. They published a study about uh, applied animal behavior to see the three most aggressive dog breeds. Far and away. <laughs> Wiener dogs, Chihuahuas, and Jack Russell Terriers. Not Pit Bulls, Rottweilers, or Dobermans. was finally established. Anyways. I'm glad AI. I figured out. He wasn't an AI. That was Jude Law. <laughs> Minority Report. <laughs> That's right. 
Gary Busey got in a motorcycle accident, went in a coma, woke up, never the same again. Eyes wide shut. Great movie. Um, yeah, Gary Busey, absolutely. He definitely uh, knocked something loose. He came back haunted. <laughs> Which is not a Tom Cruise movie, but it'd be a good name for one. Yeah. <laughs> but one can say, one can say that Born on the Fourth of July does represent coming back haunted. It does. All right. This is our uh, cruise like a whole show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, let's just do movies really quick. Dark Knight, number one with the bullet. Great film. Great, yeah, film. great film. Timeless. And I do have to say that a few times in Mission Impossible Fallout, I was reminded of the Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It is the Dark Knight of the... These guys have a real problem. And Mark and I, we <laughs> talked to each other about that at the theater when Eric wasn't there. Yeah. I'm glad you're doing it again now. Uh, so other movies like Wally. It was a good year for movies. Wally, Iron good. Man. Oh, yes, Iron Man. Oh, yes. Yeah. One that started it all. Uh, I have to say I'm sad that uh, Ant-Man and Wasp was the first Marvel movie I have not seen in the theater. Oh, really? Life just caught up with me, and I, I had to make a choice. You only have so many movie bullets, and I chose to see Mission Impossible Fallout with my friend Mark. <laughs> in theaters now. <laughs> uh, there's also some garbage like Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Mm. Um, oh, funny! Uh, For twenty minutes, I convinced myself that it's, a, good it's movie. a fine movie. Quantum of Solace, not the best of the Bond movies, but no. But um, the writer's strike hit mid-production, and Daniel Craig had to finish the script because he was an actor. He finished, not the, it. he finished the script. Wow, that explains a yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, I like to imagine him hunting and pecking to get that thing done. The movies, wa- <laughs> the movies, watch. Did you ever cool. see Logan Lucky? Yeah. I did. Yeah, it's it, it was funny. Um, oh man, TV was still bad. Uh, Do you ever think that people listen to our podcast and wish we put the Nine Inch Nails talk about the album at the start? And then when they listen to all this, they're like, when I listen to Mark Marin, and I'm just like, all right, Mark, get to it. But he only does that for 15 minutes. Oh, we, we're at like 40 <laughs> minutes right now. But we're going to talk about the album for five minutes. So this is, yeah, this is, this is your, 15. this is the meat tonight, folks. Right, go ahead. TV was terrible. American Idol, Dancing with the Stars, CSI, NCIS. Those are your top four. Um, no, there's nothing on here I watch. I didn't even watch broadcast TV at this point. I think uh, Sopranos might have been over at this point. It was because yeah. I remember very, very specifically that that ended while I still lived in San Sacramento because of I remember watching it the night. Uh, Breaking, my, ba- Breaking Bad was about to drop. Yeah, hmm. yeah, I didn't start Breaking Bad until like two seasons in. Season three for me on Netflix. And then after that, my God, I remember binging those first three seasons on these things called DVDs. Battlestar Galactica. I think you were into that at that point. Yep. I think that was getting close to being done. Yeah. Yep. Uh, music, Alicia Keys. No That's one. Flow Rider. Low. Okay. Young Jeezy, Love Club. Hmm. Uh, Mariah Carey, Touch My Body. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Coldplay. Ugh. Viva La Vida. It was really bad. Ter- terrible yeah. year for music. So this is obviously what debuted at number one on the Billboard. Ghosts. Ghosts. This number one. Exactly what the it was number one for. through four. Yeah, each one got a got a <laughs> slot. Yeah, four, Os- four, four Oscars too, which is weird because it wasn't a movie. This is the world that beckoned in Ghosts and Barack Obama in two thousand and eight. Two thousand and eight. <laughs> this is exactly what the world was clamoring for. I think Just- we've, we've been ghosts ever since. That's right. Well, let's uh, take a quick little uh, little break, and yeah. when we come back, we are not going to go through all. Yeah, we are going to do this one a little differently. Yeah, I, I apologize if you're listening to this and you've sat through all 45 minutes of this giggly nonsense. 
thinking that like, oh, Ghost is my favorite Nine Inch Nails album, and they're going to go through each song. I can't wait. Not tonight. Well, here's the deal. How do we talk about? I mean, we could, uh, you know, Steve and Eric can do their little mouth guitars and drums well, and I, I recreate. Think, I think for a normal length album, you probably could do that. But sure. Was it 32 tracks? 36. There's not even song titles, so it's kind of and, hard and to know what even the theme is. Some are two yeah. seconds each. Yeah, there's no lyrics, no song titles. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to extrapolate. So we're just going to do a brief overview, talk about some of our favorite tracks and the standouts. And uh, yeah, and if you this is your favorite album, you know, message us on Facebook and we can circle jerk. I mean, we can talk, we can talk <laughs> about this, uh, this album. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You'll still be seeing Mission Impossible Fallout alone. God damn it. Oh, boy. All right, we'll be right back. All right, so just like we had mentioned, we're not going to go 36 tracks uh, analysis on this one. We are just going to uh, talk about our personal favorites, and uh, there will probably be a little bit of um, uh, controversy, but uh, one of us is going to be pretty quiet because he did not do enough prep work. So, uh, Steve, you can just sit there on the couch smiling along as me and Eric finish this one out (laughs) that's right (laughs) all right so uh what we were going to do is uh we were initially going to just pick five of our favorite uh tracks off of this uh this album uh but before i go into uh my favorite tracks and by the way i did not narrow this down to five i thought it was only going to be five that spoke to me uh, but my list was around like maybe 13 tracks. I don't know how long your list was or did you actually pare it down to five? No, no, no. It's, 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 it's more like that. I just kind of wanted to see what you guys said and then I'd fill in a couple extra if there was too much overlap. Gotcha. Um, um, so this album, uh, do you know what, uh, creative commons is? Uh, it's, I feel like it sounds like a kind of a collaboration, a musical collaboration thing, but well, kind of. So, Creative Commons. Uh, so, when Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails released this, uh, they essentially said that this was free to use uh, anywhere. There was no licensing required. Um, so that means if you were creating a podcast or a documentary, uh, this music was essentially free to use. Um, it's. Uh, I, I had to look up what Creative Commons meant, um, but apparently, it's uh, digital rights management or DRM free, uh, which. Uh, apparently you didn't have to ask for permission if, and even Trent Rosner said, use it for whatever you can use it for podcasts. You can use it for, so if like you're listening to a true crime podcast, you know, they've got music that's clanking in the background. You could use that. Um, but I, I forgot to mention earlier that I recently came back around to this album after Ken Burns's Vietnam war documentary, which I've yet to actually finish all parts to that. But uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did do the score, but they also included a lot of the, the bits from this album on that score. Um, and that made me actually get a little bit of, okay, now I could put a little bit of imagery along with the moving imagery rather than just still photographs along with the music, which it actually got me a little more invested in that. Because when I go and listen to scores... A lot of times I need to see that scene that plays out in my head in order for it me to resonate. I mean, that's fair. I say I like instrumental music, but nine times out of ten it's because I'm reading something or I'm playing something and there is a visual component to it. I'm just kind of creating that myself, which is kind of fun. But yeah, yeah. yeah but you know, I, I see that. It's kind of like more of an imagination 
the power of imagination. Right. But it's making Plato sculptures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you think about that, Steve? Ah, uh, Steve fell asleep. What can I oh, say? God. Yeah, he does this. <laughs> Again, I didn't bring my um, I didn't bring my cattle prod this time, which usually gets him back in the game pretty quickly. But he's out. He's out, guys. He's out like a light. He's out like a light. Um, that was well. At least he he hung in there for the introduction and fell asleep before he even got yeah. to the album that he's been ragging on for fifteen episodes. In like a lamb, out like a lion. <laughs> uh, I brought my uh, my um, gimp ball. I can put it in his mouth if he starts snoring. There you so. go. There you go. But before we actually go into the album, uh, let's hear a little bit of the conversation that you had with uh, Greg Walgast on uh, Ghosts. Okay, uh, here we are cutting to a uh, exclusive exclusive interview with um, not just a friend of the show, but he is a friend of the show, uh, Greg Walgast, oft mentioned. Uh, I don't think an episode has gone by we haven't, uh, I, at least I haven't referenced Greg Walgast, because Nine Inch Nails and Greg Walgast and I, well, we go way back. He introduced me to them. Um, he was like my first really good friend, and Nine Inch Nails was a big part of what we bonded over. Um and, you know, he, he's half a world away, but we can still, you know, we still talk about that, and we always have to throw down our two cents on Nine Inch Nails. Um, so we've decided, you know, ghosts, there's going to be a lack of discussion in our main episode. Why not fill in the blanks and also get to know a uh, big friend of the show, Patreon of the show, uh, <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> uh, not Patreon, but a, 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 an absolute patron of the show who has uh, donated um, not only an iTunes review, but uh, actual links to songs that we've needed. Um, and I couldn't be more than happy to introduce Greg Walgast to discuss a little bit about ghosts. Hi, Greg. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's awesome to... Uh get to chat a bit on here it's been great to listen to you guys so um glad i finally get to uh put in my two cents so thanks for having me well thanks well we'll find out soon enough if i got my facts right because it's always yeah me and greg did blah 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 and i'm pretty sure it's true but (laughs) there's stuff that you've remembered that i completely forgot about or just uh (laughs) i can't remember the timeline of when anything happened so so you remember seeing, uh, you know, um, uh, we're in this together live with me five times, right? Um, <laughs> seeing as I've only seen them four times, uh, <laughs> how that would happen. Uh, all right. Sure. Well, Why not? I've already told the audience that you got me into them um, right around the right before Downward Spiral came out, or right around that time. But you showed me Broken. And uh, that, the especially Wish, he showed me the song Wish, and that just sparked the uh, the fury for me. But how did you get into them? Yeah, I I was trying to remember the timeline of how, like, what I heard first. Uh, I was pretty sure that Downward Spiral was the first thing that I got, and then I went back and got the you know the other things after that. But I could be wrong. Uh, I mean, I just I remember. <laughs> coming home from somewhere like a friend's house 
uh, you know, in it, like the year that Down Spiral came out. And uh, I was in a band with uh, my brother Dan and his friend Nate, and they were hanging out in my room uh, playing Super Nintendo, and Nate had just gotten Downward Spiral, so they were listening to it. And I came in right at the end of Piggy, and then, like, my, my first, like, really long uh, exposure to Nine Inch Nails was hearing Heresy into March of the Pigs in The Closer. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, like, 14 at the time, and I was just so completely infatuated with the sound. I had never heard anything like that before. And it just, oh, that, that's it awesome. It just, like, totally killed me. I mean, from then on... Ooh. Yeah, I, I was just. That's a hell of a hell of a trifecta. So, uh, Greg, you are you are probably one of the most talented drummers I've ever met in my life, uh, <laughs> or heard in my life. And I and 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 uh, Greg Greg is a fantastic drummer, like an insane drummer. He's very very good. Thank uh, you. You're talking about your band Thingamajig, who I saw uh, yep. many times in in uh, yep. in Tucson. In fact. Uh, in fact, uh, that was, you know, I think uh, you gave me a flyer and I went to it and that was one of the first times, like, you know, we kind of talked out of school and started hanging out. Yeah, that's uh, true. Because I just wanted to get into local music and you guys were really, really good. Uh, like a really noisy, bass heavy, drum crazy, um, uh, not so much Primus, but definitely inspired by, but I would say more like in, yeah. the, in the bark market realm of just noisy 90s music. Is that fair? Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of people instantly when they when they saw us physically, you know, they said Primus because we had uh, Nate playing bass, uh, a big fretless bass, and, and he was singing, and so a singer playing a fretless bass, and to do as much as I possibly could on the drums. So yeah, people thought Primus. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, we did have a lot of. Uh, Spark Market influence as far as Dan's uh, guitar parts. And yeah. But no, you guys were in your own sound. I'm not, yeah, you guys, you had your own sound. Anyways, it was big. It was, the drums were huge. You guys were sludgy and fast and it was very good. And there were, you know, later I can see some of the influences, but at the time, you know, you guys definitely had your own sound. So like, um, when you walked into that room, were, did you walk in just in time, Piggy, to hear that drum solo? Is that what piqued uh, your interest? I, I think it was, uh, it was really basically like right when Heresy was starting. Okay, okay, cool. Um, at that point, all I had ever heard of Nine Snails was um, like seeing, uh, they had like a whole video on 120 Minutes or something, and uh, Woodstock 94, I had seen just some really short clips of them like playing the intro to March of the Pigs, and you know, my, my brothers, uh, basically I listened to all the stuff my brothers listen to so uh i thought it sounded cool um but really just uh, kind of all at once yeah I, I i basically started with heresy sure the that's oh, that's God. one of my favorite I, I like how you how you went all in and didn't even hear the first two tracks that's great no <laughs> uh, i just come in yeah at that point well, I remember because you and I, like I said, I went and saw your band play. We talked to Recess a little bit. We kind of kind of became friends in like uh, early eighth grade, and um, then you showed me Wish. So at that point, 
I guess, yeah, Downward Spiral had been out, barely. Yeah. And you went back and found some stuff. Yeah, because I remember you just showing me Wish, and I was like, holy shit. And then we just, like, dissected that whole album, and it was, like, so good with all the little instrumental interludes and then all the 99 tracks of nothing, of blankness. And then there was, like, a Halo number, and it was, like, Nothing Records, and there was this whole marketing thing that I was all about. And, yeah, it, it pretty much... I remember, like, not even, like, a month later... It must have been like summer vacation or something. I saw that Woodstock performance you're talking about, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Holy shit, this band is amazing!" Like it was so yeah. good. And then, not even a month after that, I was in California and bought Pretty Hate Machine because I wanted to start at the beginning, like because I'm OCD like that with music. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, "This doesn't sound like that Woodstock one. They're not destroying their keyboards when they're playing Terrible Eye, but holy shit, this is a this is a great song." Uh, and uh, yeah. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for opening the door there, buddy. Oh, sure. And it, yeah, I I owe a lot to my uh my older brothers cuz they they got me listening to uh you know, as as far back as I rem- can remember from when I was like in kindergarten, they were listening to like Metallica, uh Misfits and all that stuff and I I just went along with it and uh loved everything that that they were listening to and uh and they weren't they weren't already like big nine inch nails fans but it was just one of those things that they happened to be like yes yeah, it's pretty cool but when i heard it it was one of those things that really the music hit it kind of hit my soul in a way that i nothing else really had at that point and well, I, I yeah really you and I went apeshit. Like, I remember every day, if I could find some little soundbite or some little Rolling Stone article, you know, or something about it, I was like, bring it to school to you to show you the next day. I think you and I still had a good year together, year and a half before I had to move. Yeah. It was after, like, ninth grade. I mean, uh, yeah, we got to, um, you know, we could jump ahead to the, uh, <laughs> the Bowie show that oh, you mentioned. Yeah. Times every- <laughs> Every episode, I have to mention it. I, I beat that cool, cool cred horse to death. But yeah, we, yeah. yeah, my dad had a meeting in Phoenix. We had to be there the next day for a band concert, for a jazz band concert. So it just worked out perfectly that my dad could take us and we could see Nine Inch Nails and David Bowie perform together. Yeah. And Prick Open. Don't forget Prick Open. And yeah, yeah. that's true. And that's, yeah. that's important too because Prick played what? 20 Dang concerts? <laughs> Yeah, and they uh, uh, we had to take a cab to like the state fair to meet with uh, the school band the next day. Yeah, and wait there for a little bit, and the uh, I just <laughs> I remember the bus showing up, and uh, we were pretty much like rock gods to everybody yeah. at that point. Yeah, we're <laughs> like, where you been all day? We were at Nine Inch Nails last night, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty great. Yeah, that was awesome. That was a great show. Uh, how many times have you seen them after that? Uh, I figure it. I guess I've seen them three other times. Okay. Um, in two thousand, after uh, the fragile, and so you saw like the, Fragi- fragility two point Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was in in Phoenix with a few friends, and then uh, uh, Chad Essig. Uh, another good friend, uh, another former bandmate. Uh, he and I went to. Uh, it was actually a smaller theater venue in uh, 2005 for With Teeth, so that was pretty cool to see him in a, 
a somewhat smaller, you know, not an arena. Was that during their, um, like, their prepping for With Teeth, or had it already come out? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was just before it actually came out. Um, but we had gone to, uh, Chad and I had gone to a listening party where we got to hear the whole record. And, um, and Chad, of, of, you know, Chad actually got to engineer uh, at the studio where they recorded uh, Dave Grohl's drums for that. So he he knew a lot of the stuff from it or had remembered a lot and, and you know, of course, was pointing out all the differences of what actually got released. And, uh, but yeah. That's, yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, because I, uh, Chad actually replied to my email eventually uh, and gave me some good story, like, like sound bites to talk about when I, because we, we've, we've recorded with teeth, even though it's not released yet, Mark, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's recorded. Um, so yeah, he did tell me about his involvement in it quite a bit, but, uh, that's interesting to, to think that like, he thought that the, the final sound was going to be way different than how it sounded when he was recording. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember he was somewhat disappointed just because he got to hear Dave recording these drums that were just he just kept saying they were really loud and brutal and just like layers of drums and and that wasn't quite what came out but i i'm wondering if one of those things might have been what turned into uh uh the idea of you on um the, the, not the actual events oh interesting from those sessions but i'm, I'm not not sure. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I, when I think of Brutal Drums on that album, like, that's a pretty clean-cut album, but uh, Don't You Know What You Are? Mm-hmm. Is, those drums are insane. Yeah. I, I almost wonder if he just, <laughs> he just layered every single rapid-fire drum that he recorded during that <laughs> session over that song. It's so good. All at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Love that damn song. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I remember you also telling me, like, that was when you were living in L.A., and you were actually going to the studio where they recorded that, like, quite a bit, right? Yeah, um, we, like, I didn't have anywhere to uh, store my drums uh, when I was living out there, so I actually kept them in the garage, because uh, they had, like, a little stage up, and this is uh, Grandmaster Recorders, which is... Sadly, no more, uh, but they have one of the best drum rooms of all the, the studios in, in Hollywood. And um, so Dave Grohl actually wound up recording a whole bunch of things there. He did like the Killing Joke uh, drums there, which is probably one of my favorite Dave Grohl drum performances on anything. Did he um, did he drum on the on a Killing Joke album? Yeah, the uh, I think it's the self-titled one. Oh. It's uh, just a yellow cover with the uh, like a clown face on it. Huh. Well, the, no, they're they're self-titled. Their first album is self-titled, but they must have done oh. another self-titled. I'll have to check that one out because I'm going through a fucking yeah. crazy Killing Joke revi- revival right now. But I'm only into the '80s. I have not gotten that far yet. Okay. Well, that's from 2003, I believe. And the the drums, the whole album is awesome it's really a lot of heavy stuff you know some repetitive things but his drums are just like fucking insane oh i'm gonna listen to that i'm, I'm crazy about that damn band you know they're, yeah. they're touring with pig right now oh really yeah and pig's new album is fantastic yeah yeah yep. i'm sure yeah so check if they're coming your way check them out what by the way where are you right now uh i am in 
Iowa City, Iowa. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool, small. It's uh, it's where the University of Iowa is. So, kind of small uh, college town, but yeah, it's a cool place for for the Midwest. Not too far from Chicago. There but, you go. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Nice. Uh, okay, so um, we're, let's talk about ghosts a little bit. Um, uh, I when we when I re- we record this episode proper, I'm going to kind of give my opinions, but I'd love to hear like some standout tracks to you because I remember when this album dropped, I sat out on my front porch and I gave you a call because I was like, I was like, I've liked every Nine Inch Nails album that's come out, but something about Ghost like it's just instrumental I don't know what they're doing like I love this like I was going through a phase where I loved instrumental music anyways like instrumental hip hop instrumental like techno uh, and it just kind of like it was working for me then but there, there there was something about it that really struck me so I gave you a call and I was just like I don't know man this one I don't know if I'll ever take this album off my like iTunes playlist like it's it's good so yeah I don't know what, what, yeah. what, what, what did you think when it came out well um yeah, I mean, I've, I've been thinking of kind of where where I was at that time. Well, of course. That's the whole point of this show is, like, autobiographically, yes. what were you doing yeah. when they dropped this, like, fucking album they made in the garage or a, yeah. the back of a van or whatever, you yeah. know? just a whole bunch of improvised, like, yeah, I know they just, like, every day they just, just decided to do something. And, and for that, I mean, there's... There's a lot of stuff on it that I skip over, but they really did some some of my favorite instrumental Nine Inch Nails stuff. Um, so, yeah, at the time, kind of before this, I I was realizing that I was probably uh, I really wasn't happy. Like I, I wasn't happy with my my job. You know, I was like a delivery driver. Uh, wasn't doing a whole lot with my life, uh, and, uh, kind of starting, well, I'd had a long distance relationship with my girlfriend at the time, now my wife of almost 10 years. Um, so yeah, at at the time, this was actually, I guess it was like 2008 when Ghost came out and that was the year that, uh, Megan, my, my wife had moved to Tucson, uh, where I was living and, uh, we got married and all that. But so we had, we had been in, uh, a multi-level marketing company, uh, Amway, uh, for a short time and had seen so much, uh, like complete corruption of oh. that organization. And our whole experience with that it really like woke us up uh, to to a whole lot of shit that was going on uh, in, in world uh, corruption in in the government in huge corporations you know it, and so it, it really that was kind of my time of like um, getting really pissed off and, and like woken up to the shit that was going on in the world so 
Yeah, like Year Zero had come out, and that really fit with all of that perfectly. Oh yeah, I loved it. And then, and then Ghost. I mean, I, a lot of the things on there were really minimalistic um, and and kind of good for like soundtrack stuff, but the things that really got to me uh, they really fit with like the way that I was feeling and and I've always been um, like a, a visual art and, and my you know when I, I like the kind of music I, I like the music more than the lyrics and the vocals and that's what I really get into and that's what inspires my my visual imagination, I guess. So, hearing a lot of this stuff on, on Ghosts, uh, there was a there was a lot that inspired me to want uh, make videos to to go along with it. And I mean, that was what was cool was they actually had a thing at the time um, on like the Nib website. Right? You they were having kind of like a contest thing for people to make videos uh, based on what the what the tracks from Ghosts inspired you know them to, to fit with the music and, and I was really bummed because I didn't have like any equipment I didn't have any like you know software skills at the time and I had no means to actually make anything and I, I really wanted to because there was a whole lot that it was it was inspiring me to um, to make something. Well, you and I used to make like uh, claymation, like stop motion animation shit, like crazy. Like every time we hung out, we were like making little little short, like super violent <laughs> claymation movies. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, you yeah, you've always been into that. You got me. You got me into that. Yeah. All right. So what's that? What do you got there? So I. I realized I'm, um, I still have this on my keychain to this day. Uh, I made this as an art project in ninth grade. Uh, I think it's just like nickel with some brass soldered onto it. So I was so obsessed with uh, Nine Inch Nails at the time, I just had to, uh, pretty much everything, <laughs> every art project that I made had the NIN logo in there somewhere. And so I, I made uh, a little NIN emblem that has been on my keychain since ninth grade. <laughs> That's that awesome. I, I was I was in the same class with you, but I was terrible with technology. <laughs> so like I made a bo- I made a wooden box, and I put a nine inch nails sticker on it. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> that was it. And then when Good we were night. at the state fair, I bought that nine inch males hat, which was a hat with the NIM emblem, Nine Inch Males, and it was a disgusting, very long condom, and I <laughs> bought that hat because I thought it was funny. Have never worn it in public, ever. And as you should not. No, 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 it's terrible, even for a seventh grader. Ah. It's awful. Yeah. I, I just, I realized, like, that was a nice little uh, trinket that I might as well show because uh yeah it's been how, how many years now i mean i was 15 16 at the time and
guess like give me a, give me a few of your favorite tracks and just kind of like what what visuals you know what if you had no budget what movie, what like short movie would you make for that song? Okay. Um, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Give me like your top like three or five or you know we'll see we'll see how this goes. Each one, but um, but really like the the first one you know the the first nine tracks or whatever has some some cool stuff, uh, but it, it's not among my my favorite. Um, I would say uh, number fourteen. Okay, is, so fourteen. That's on Ghosts Two. Track yeah, fourteen. Okay. So it's it's like a futuristic hoedown kind of a jam thing. That is, it's a lot of fun. It's it's one of the things that has the most energy up t- to that point. Oh yeah. I think, well, that has uh, that has Adrian Ballou on guitar. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of really cool uh, Adrian Ballou guitar noise. Yeah, uh, has a lot of cracks on here too. Um, and that's the first time we've but, kind of heard from him since uh, since the Fragile, which is cool because yeah. it almost seemed like the Fragile was like this amazing palette of music that Trent was trying to do, and then it was so hard on him that when it was over. And as we saw, we got so much from it. We got deviations. We got you know thirty-five songs from it. But when it's over, when it was over, he kind of changed tune entirely. So I was so happy to see him bring Adrian Blue back. Yeah, yeah. He's he's always added a lot of chaotic, uh, but still somehow melodic. <laughs> yeah, no, very pretty, uh, very pretty. Like yeah. Um. So yeah. That's that's a really good one. It's just really really fun, uh, and I should mention too, like a lot of these things. Uh, as I was going through, uh, like taking film classes, a lot of these tracks came in handy when I needed to throw a piece of music on something. <laughs> and they're yeah. perfect for that. And, yeah. Uh, so I, I wound up using several tracks off of this over the years. So I think that was one of them. Um, so. Then, um, well, what did that? What, what what story would you have told for that one? Did you write that down? Um, I mean, to me, it it was just something that was fun and it, like you know you could you could use it for like a <laughs> a chase scene. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I. That's what exactly like, what I was going for. Yeah, a montage chase scene or something. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that was that was a really cool one. Uh, so, and I guess I'd, I'd say uh, number twenty four is oh, yeah. Ghosts Three, featuring uh, live keyboardist uh, Anthony Cortini uh, oh. from uh, Mod Wheel Mod or something, Bad Wheel Mod, and uh, oh. yeah. So, anyways, he's on that track. So, go on. Um, that one is, uh, it's really, like, industrial. It reminds me a lot of a Skinny Puppy with all, like, the little samples. Like, there's a lot of cool sk- uh, samples in it. Uh, like, things from movies. Yeah, uh, I, I, I thought that one sounded like the, like, a Doom soundtrack or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, uh, it always reminds me, there are a couple sound effects in it that sound 
almost exactly like uh, these sounds from the game Half-Life 2, which was one of my favorite action games. Uh, and yeah, anytime I hear that track, it, it always reminds me of playing uh, Half-Life 2. Uh, and the, the sound, I mean, the, the type of music it is is something that really fits with with that game. So, Well, the other hosts of the show love that game. Oh yes, I've never uh, I've never played it, but but it's been oft brought up. Yes, it's uh, it's one of the best, definitely a good one. Um, so yeah, going the the rest of the ones that I I love are all in uh, in Ghost Four. just fucking around let's have fun with it yeah yeah Yeah. it's just just having fun doing you know putting some you know some weird samples in there and uh yeah and just uh but yeah i like that one um i'm not really sure what that that's just kind of something that could be used for a you know a nice montage sure The two tracks that I like the most, um, number 28, is a slow, very sad-sounding song that I, uh, well, okay, so Hurricane Katrina happened in, like, 2005, and that it was a bit later after that that uh, Spike Lee came out with a, a whole, like, four-hour documentary about it. That's one of the saddest things that I've ever seen. And this track, number 28, totally reminds me of the feeling of watching that documentary. It just, there's so much sadness in it, and it's just really, really powerful to me. So it's that kind of thing that I, you know, hearing hearing a track like that that invokes uh, a mood in me that's that's what I'm really drawn to that's why I've always liked instrumental music you know I it's more of an inspiration I guess 
Well, but, Trent, Trent's from uh, from New Orleans, so there may be yeah. something to that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know. It, it's one of those things that I feel like it. You know, it's quite possible that that's what that's what they were thinking as they as they made something like that. Yeah, I've been very a very strong one for me. Um, then my my favorite, and I mean, it's one of my my favorite instrumental Nine Inch Nails tracks is uh, number 31 is really noisy and it's one of the noisiest and loudest and like slowest sludgiest songs uh, on Ghosts Um, kind of like a a Melvin's mashup with Nine Inch Nails and uh, I love the guitar riff Uh, I love the the break in the middle uh, where again, I'm sure it's Adrian Malou uh, screwing around. It is, it's, yeah. This is one of the songs he's on. Yeah, yeah. It it totally sounds like, um, you know, a Arabic instrument, like stringed instrument, uh, something that is, uh, I don't know. It, it again at the time, um, you know, I was I was reading a lot about. Uh, the lead up to like the Iraq war and how we got into that and the the anger I guess that I, I felt in this track really I, I kind of related with how I felt at the time about uh, you know us getting into the Iraq war and and all that so yeah that, that's kind of a it's you know in, in typical uh, Nine Inch Nails fashion, it, it ends, it builds up to a point uh, where it's just complete noise, as it, much noise as they can pack in there, and then it just cuts off. Yeah, yeah. I had some some uh, flashbacks to the uh, Lost Highway soundtrack score work he did mm-hmm. when I was listening to that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, uh, that's one of my favorites too. That's a goodie. Yeah. Really good one, and uh, as as a drummer, uh, and, and you know, I I like to uh, <laughs> I like being a noisy drummer. And that's one of those kind of tracks that really makes me want to uh, just beat the shit out of the drum kit. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, that's uh, that's good. That's your that's your take on ghosts. Uh, actually, I would say every single song you mentioned showed up in my notes. I only wrote notes on songs that made an impact, and every single one you mentioned, I have a note for. So, yeah, we're on the same wavelength there. Yeah, there's some real high highs in this. And listen, even the throwaway songs, the skippable songs. If you're like reading or cleaning or doing something where you can't really pay attention to the music, but you want something with like a pretty melody, a beat, some noise, it's going to be as good as any soundtrack music you put on. It's going to be as good as any electronic. That's just my opinion, but anyways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's a lot of those other uh, quieter tracks I wound up using for um, you know, throw some music in a student project or something, and they. Um, it's, uh, ah, shoot. Well, I'm no, I'm uh, with, I'm with <laughs> you there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah really, really good. Serves well, a, I guess. It's, 
it's not as engaging as their regular repertoire, but it isn't like for that mood you're in when you're going to put on instrumental, it's going to be as serviceable as anything else and maybe even more engaging on those few songs we discussed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I know a, a lot of the stuff um, wound up being worked into like the, the Vietnam War uh, soundtrack, too. I mean, I know yep. a lot of that. Yeah, in there, and that's a good. That's a really good one to watch. Yeah. And I, I loved watching that. And just every time I, I was like, oh, that's an Irish Nail song. For yep. Sure. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. And this definitely like kickstarted the uh, score work that they would do in the years following. So. Let's bring it back to the band as a whole. Uh, uh, we, I mean, we went apeshit for these guys. Like, you and I would make these little mix, remix tapes at home. And uh, we'd have our own names for them, and it would basically be just like mashups. We'd mash up any Nine Inch Nails song that sounded good with another Nine Inch Nails song. Maybe a Primus song would show up in there if there was a funny vocal sample or something. Okay. Yeah, I throw lots of uh, helmet, um, bark market, uh, yeah, tour, all, all kinds of stuff. Tool, yeah, we were like the original girl talk, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 it was, yeah, no, we, so we like, yeah, we we were digging in. We love those remixes. Any chance we can hear another version of the song? That was that was awesome. So that being said, like, give me a top five favorite Nine Inch Nails album or not albums but songs. Okay. Top five songs. Uh, so I mean, it's it's always really tough, but um, I'd still have to say that like uh, overall, um, my favorite Nin track is uh, the Wretched um, because I I just. I've always loved all, all the parts in it, um, all the little texturing sounds, and especially what always gets me as, again, as a loud drummer, uh, is the, the end of it, like the climax of the song. I mean, it, there's a great noisy guitar solo, and for the, the final like repeat of the, the chorus, it, it's just oh, yeah. complete bashing drums yeah. and it totally just kills me oh. every time oh. so how how, yeah. how annoyed were you when we were emailing and I was just so into rap music and that album <laughs> dropped and all I wanted to talk about was even deeper because Dr. Dre produced it and like I was like oh and Starfuckers is a pretty cool like techno production song <laughs> yeah because he messed with the lyrics and nobody's really done that before and messed with the vocals and that was bad. Yeah. Oh God! <laughs> oh. I'm a different man now, Greg. I'm a different right. man. <laughs> we all uh, we can all grow a little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so and okay, so 
closer. Um, closer is definitely way up there. Not so much lyrically, but musically. That the everything, all the the sounds and the way everything works together and the way it builds up yeah. in the end on that song is still one of my favorite songs. Period. Oh, and the lyrics aren't really that bad. They're just. Risque yeah, and they're kind of gross. Start. They're kind of gross. They're kind of sleazy. Uh, there's not always room for that, but uh, you can't show it to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, but it's a. It, but they're not bad. They're not like. They're yeah. not. You know. They're not shallow. They're they're good lyrics. Yeah. It's yeah. It's one of those things I always felt. You know, I didn't want my parents to walk out of the room or anything when I was listening to it. But um, but yeah, it, it's still. Uh, just pretty much all around it a great track yeah and that video that's one of the best music videos of all time yeah yes yeah. and that, that was even one of the things that, that really got me interested before I really heard much of them I'd always see little clips of uh, Trent with his aviator goggles getting blasted in the face <laughs> with, with an air gun and uh, just the whole look of the video I, I really liked the uh, aesthetics but I, I'd say uh, Where Is Everybody is definitely up there. I, I've i always loved um, how we started trying different things uh, it went lyrically and vocally. like uh, And the music, I mean, the song is, is awesome. More great. Um, I think that even had uh, Adrian Ballou guitar noise toward the end. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, and of course, Wish. Oh, I mean, yes. That, that one of the songs that <laughs> initially just blasted my face off and, and got me really into them. Uh, and it's still, I mean, seeing it live, it, it's it's still amazing. When they played that, when we saw the Bowie, when we were at the Bowie show, and it was the first yep. concert I'd been to for a band that I was truly excited about. <laughs> Um, and when they played Wish, it was like, yeah, it was mind blowing. It was just that, that's like what live energy needs to be. It was so good. Yep. I still remember, uh, cause we were way up on the lawn, like way in the back of the pavilion. Oh yeah. And I could, yeah, I, I recognized like the little clicky beat at the beginning and turn yeah you like you didn't catch it right away and then it kind of dawned on you what it was <laughs> yeah i was like we start what's this mosh pit oh ourselves. shit yeah <laughs> yeah that was great so good so good yeah wish is an all-timer easily yeah yeah and after that i mean um the big come down has always been one of my my very top tracks um, oh god, yeah, it's masterful, masterful production there. Yeah, it's so good. There are just so many others that are that are pretty much tied at, at that point. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love last uh, um, uh, heresy, March of the Pigs. You know. Uh, All right, so so gun to your head, gun to your head. What's your favorite album? I would still I'd have to say the fragile um, even even with how um, how much of the downward spiral blew me away when it, it 
got me into them initially. Like I, I still feel like that that was this kind of overwhelming at the time. Um, the fragile still has so much more variety to it and more maturity, I guess that I really appreciate overall. So, yeah, that's, that's a good choice. I mean, I, like I said in the episode, I know fragile is a better album, but like, I feel like nostalgia is trapping me to downward spiral. But there, there's a power to that too, even though it's subjective. But yeah, yeah, no, the fragile is so good. I mean, there's so many, so much that came out of that era. It's, it's insane, and yeah. it's such a musical, like yeah, such a, such an, a progressive musical era. It's great. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I'd say I now, I don't know. I mean, at the time that it came out, it, it was definitely. Um, I guess it, it probably was my favorite, and especially now hearing the tracks from Deviations and hearing more of just like what was going on at the time, I'd say that kind of cements it even more. Uh, is that, yeah, yeah, it, my, my favorite era. Of yeah, Nint. such a such a huge musical era. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Awesome. Well. Uh, you know, from a friend that would only be on this show because you and I spent weekends sitting cross-legged on a carpet listening to just the albums over and over again, you know, making our own music videos for them, following, you know, other members, you know, Pigface or, or Filter, you know, just because, you know... We got into Nine Inch Nails initially pretty early. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I appreciate you showing up. You're a huge part of the show, so thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, I've been listening to all these and wanted to chime in for uh, many episodes. So, <laughs> now. so thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Well, you know, I'm always right when we're talking, so <laughs> I'm speaking for you clearly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those other sure guys what? don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, they want to follow this up with the Metallica podcast. Oh my god! <laughs> Although I will say it, it does sound like um, from hearing uh, all of your guys, uh, you know, opinions on uh, on different tracks over the years and everything. I, I mean, um, it sounds like Stephen and I probably have the most uh, in common as far as what we. <laughs> oh yeah. What we really enjoy the most from Nine Inch Nails and, and you know, <laughs> musical interests. But. Yeah, I, I love that you made that connection. Yeah, I've, I've thought that regularly, but didn't want to be so bold. But yeah, I, I completely agree. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, well, thanks, Greg. Thanks for showing up. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right, back to our regularly scheduled program.
Thanks again, Greg. Um, always, you know, he's been a big supporter of the show and a bit and a good friend of mine for a long time and a big reason I'm into uh, Nine Inch Nails. Uh, so, um, if you want to check out some of his other work to do, he's doing a actually a gardening project on YouTube called Some Room to Grow, and it's a pretty good if you're into those kind of things uh, like uh, flowers and vegetables. Uh, now, I think Mark and I are gonna and Steve, if he ever wakes up, are gonna go through. Uh, our uh just our favorite tracks off here um yeah we'll give you a taste of some of the really cool instrumental stuff they had going on so the first one that popped up that really uh kind of turned my attention and i can't help but kind of like think of what cinematic scene would be happening in a movie if this was part of the score i just tend to go there uh was two ghosts one and the way the track listing works is the number uh the number uh the basically the track number is the first thing and I, I mean, the the two would be the track number, and then the one would be what disc it was on. And if you're listening to this on MP3s, it doesn't really matter. It wasn't really the disc because uh, Ghost One through Four was meant to be more like volumes. At first, it was going to be released in four different EPs, but then they uh, Trent decided to just recently release it this way, and he had promised that there was going to be future volumes. So yeah, as uh, you're indicating, it'd be the track number, uh, Ghost. And then which volume it was on. Oh, so, gotcha. Yeah. 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 And, and, there, and there isn't really a... It's not like it's a movement or none of these kind of flow together like... No. One line called like epic composition. So um, anyways, the, what, what I like about this song is it's just... It's, it's, it's pretty... Uh, there's pretty piano that kind of drives it. Um, and then there's uh, kind of like a ethereal epicness that slowly builds in the background. Uh, just done with synths. Um, to me, in my head, when I listen to it, it sounds like if there was like a movie where there was a, you know, some kind of end of the world battle, and it's the next morning, the sun comes out, uh, a lot of people are dead, it's gruesome, but there's hope, there's 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 survivors, like that's the picture that I see when I hear this song. So, anyways, I think this is this is a this is a pretty song, um, second song on the album, and a and a great lead into to some heavier things. That wasn't on my list. Um, I, you know, it's not to say that I didn't like the uh, track, but I found it to be. Uh, there's some stuff on here that's just slightly repetitive. Um, yeah. I mean, they're not really long songs right. or long. Uh, the whole album really feels like a scratch track. Right. That they were as uh, improvising and uh, experimenting, but not really having a clear path of like this is the song structure sure. that we want to do. Um, and David Byrne and Brian Eno definitely had records like this. Um, and they're not stuff that I would, uh, actually, you know, reach for if I'm in the mood for those artists and same would go for a lot of the tracks on here. Yeah. There's a lot of songs that have a similar feeling to this. It's like a pretty piano with some noise in the background. I think this is the best of those examples. Um, and they kind of blew, you know, blew their load a little too early. On yeah. this one. But um anyways, that's two ghost one. Yeah. Um I had for my first uh track that I really enjoyed was uh Three Ghost One. Yeah. Three Ghost One has uh, kind of a clanging percussion um with the plucked muted strings. Uh when I was thinking about this song, it could kind of be used in a chase scene uh, as an out of tune bass instrument. Um really remind me of some of the work uh, from the movie Inception. Um, oh, totally. Like, the image I had in my head 
was like some foreign marketplace. Foreign marketplace. Because you hear like the hand drums and they're electronic. And you hear some what almost sounds like um, sitars or some kind of thing in the background going. It definitely sounds exactly like Inception, like a chase through a marketplace. Yep. You know, somewhere. Uh, Adrian Blue is on this track. He's playing guitar uh, from King Crimson. You'll see a theme there. Pretty much all of his songs on here like Kilder. It's just it's 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 great. And it's really cool right. because he was you'd think he was just a collaborator on the Fragile, and that was like you know one and done, and his collaboration with Nine Inch Nails was over. But I think it's great that uh, that he came back for this. It's a great album for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so what's uh, what's your next track? Um. Uh, it's very brief, but I just I wanted to make a note about Four Ghosts one. Um, okay. The the guitar work on here will return. There's a similar sound that will return a lot, and it kind of reminds me. It could be like a B side if Somewhat Damage was ever a single. That out of tune, buzzy acoustic guitar that that kind of turns into a loop in itself. Yeah. Um, that they established on that song. Anyways, uh, back in a big way in the song. I don't have a lot to say about the song. It's not one of my. You know, not even my top ten on the album, but I just noticed that it comes up here and it will repeat itself throughout Ghosts, um, uh, and just kind of feels like a throwback to the Fragile, which I always I always like what he does with out of tune, buzzy acoustic guitars as as a sample. Yeah, um, of all of the releases after the Fragile, this one definitely has the kitchen sink and uh, the ukulele plunking away in that kitchen sink kind of feel to it. So I I, I know what you're saying. Um, I don't have another uh, track off of the first volume of Ghosts until Ghost uh, Track 7. Um, again, it has Adrian Ballou, has syncopated synth lines, uh, very heavily distortion on the card. It's got a lot of groove, um, and it just kind of stops. It's more of that stutter stop kind of feel to it. Um, I do enjoy it. I mean, it's kind of got that uh, bug production, as you like to call it, yeah. on there. Always happy um, to hear a little noise back in Ashdale's work. Yeah, and uh, it, I just feel it's kind of got like this little funky groove to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that. Those are the only two tracks off of the first volume uh, that I actually. No, see, I, I'm crazy about eight ghosts. One, mm-hmm. I, I go back and forth between three and eight as which is my favorite off of Ghost One. This song to me, it's got like um, these razor sharp guitar licks um, that are almost like could be like distorted violins because they're of how sharp they are um and this saw bass that kind of reminds me of like uh, somebody playing the, uh, the bow on a stand-up bass but super distorted okay and in my head i'm just hearing like this ship is just racing through stormy waves just just sludging and splashing over the waves of the storm mm-hmm. um big old sludgy riff i mean this is like I mean, if Steve was awake right now, he he maybe even would hear some uh, Melvins or, or Neurosis in the sludge that's happening in, in this song. So. That's exactly what, uh, before he had passed out, he actually uh, wrote down here, tell the listeners my, my list, and that's exactly what he wrote for this one. He said, Melvin's heavy, and uh, we'll never know what that means, Melvin's yeah. heavy. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, we could try to incept him and see what and see what it. Means. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's all I have off 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 of Ghost One. But there's some there's there's some there's some great tracks on there. Uh, so uh, Ghost Two. So that's all you have on Ghost One. That's right. Yeah. Um. So for Ghost Two, uh, I I do think it's a stronger uh, little collection. If 
you call it that, since everything is kind of collected. Uh, I do like 11 Ghosts 2. It has pulsing strings. Uh, Alessandro and Adrian Blue are on this. And there's actually, it's very subdued. It contains a sample uh, from the composer Berlioz, uh, excuse me if I mispronounce that, I'm not a music major as you can see, uh, The Dream of the Witches Sabbath, um, apparently it's an uncredited, uh, but maybe it's reached the public domain so they don't have to. Well hopefully they don't, they don't fall into the, uh, what was it, the, uh, the Verve? Who, who oh, Bittersweet Symphony? Yeah, Bittersweet yeah. Symphony. And it, was a, it was a Rolling Stone sample, wasn't Man, it? Man, they didn't make yeah. a cent off that song. It was a huge song. Are you serious? They didn't have to pay all the I mean, I think the they royalties? initially did. They had to pay, they, I think they had to pay it back. I, yeah, and it's the only oh my yeah. God. Yeah. It's a great song, too. It is a great song. I mean, it's too bad, too, because it's, yeah, they're a good band. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Cortini, um, I've since listened to a lot of his solo stuff, his uh, Sonio uh, yeah, solo yeah. project. I haven't listened to the Bad Mod Wheel. Uh, Mod Wheel Mood. Oh, Mod Wheel Mood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't listened to that, but I have listened to his Sonio, uh, Son- Sonoio. Yeah, um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's it, it's it, it's okay. There's some songs that that I I don't really understand. <laughs> Is it is it uh, ambient or like is there is it... some there's some ambient there's some um, like electronic uh, electronic rock songs basically guitar electronics I mean there's some that tiptoe into the industri- industrial realm um, his voice though he has a great voice it's 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 clean it's a very clean voice which is I see. which is which is which is fine um, in some songs it fits perfectly in some songs it sounds like almost his voice is way more popular than the music, mm. which is a weird, you know, but anyways, uh, it's not bad. And it's, it's definitely, if you're a Nine Inch Nails fan, it's worth checking out. Um, anyways, what I noticed when I was listening to that is he's got this rich, when his instrumental songs go, it's like this rich, lush, uh, very synth heavy, like Italian composer style. Um, and it's great. And I always like seeing him when he's on a song and I hear that come up again and I can totally see, why uh why Trent brought him into the group, especially during yeah. this era. It's just it's just a match made in heaven. Yeah. When as you say that, um it reminds me of uh some of uh I'm a huge Mike Patton fan as well. But he's done a lot of uh soundtrack and score work. Uh yeah. And uh very Italian uh composer, uh very Ennio Morricone. Oh sure. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. Brought him uh, on to, I think he even released some unreleased Morricone stuff on Ipecac. Yeah, and uh, covered some of the songs off like the Phantom Moss, like director's cut release yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I mean, yeah, if you, if you, I mean, you know, if you want to dig into Italian composers, there's been some collections of just Italian B movies that nobody's ever seen, like crime movies or giallo movies. Uh, just a collection of like the synthy '80s and '70s and '80s like scores that went to it, and like they were doing some crazy stuff with synths. Yeah, and it's no, I mean, I mean, you know. It's no, it's no surprise, you know, anytime you see an Italian guy, uh, uh, composer pop up in some techno related music. So anyways, it's Cortini, very cool element in, is he still part of Nine Inch Nails live show? Yeah, he is. That's great. He actually even, uh, did some work, uh, with how to destroy angels, uh, live. So yeah, Yeah. he's been in Trent's orbit for a while. I think he's a perfect match. So that's great. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, what what do you got 
I, I on threw, two uh, goes on two. two. Yeah, uh, I threw you, out eleven. Already. You have? Do you have anything else? I have fourteen. Is my next one? I have twelve. Okay, we, we talk uh, about twelve a little bit. So twelve is actually uh, Steve's favorite one as well. Uh, he feels that it's very Mogwai esque. Uh, very, it's piano driven. Um, it's also if you've seen the Vietnam War documentary by Ken Burns. Um, it's right at the very beginning um, of the first, and uh, it, it it is more of a realized song. Um, uh, I think yeah, that's a fair cri- that, that's a fair criticism for most of the album is because the songs are short. Usually, instrumental songs get some time to grow, and you know this one they might get a good riff or two, you know, here, but it doesn't necessarily go anywhere. But this is a particular song that goes somewhere, and it's it's it is for sure a highlight. Because, yeah, I mean, it definitely has more of a traditional rock and roll sound uh, as instead of just the piano kind of tinkling, that's how it starts. Uh, what I mean tinkling, I do not mean peeing. Right. Um, tickling. Tickling the ivories. <laughs> tickling the old ivories, the old black and whites. Um, and then, you know, the melody kind of joins in. It's it's a good track. It's uh, it's Steve's favorite track off Ghosts. Uh, it's not my favorite track off Ghosts, but... Uh, it is a good one. It is a good one. Yeah, um, sure. and it's apparently never been played live. Yeah, that would be um, that would be a fun one. But go ahead and tell me about fourteen because uh, that one is actually my favorite uh, yeah. track. Go ahead. No, fourteen's fourteen's great. I'm sure you have some better notes on it for me. Um, it's it's messing with the. It's got some of the out of tune sounds. Uh, a lot of plucking going on. I don't know if it's banjos or out of tune ukuleles but there's some awesome plucking that sounds like a mandolin yeah yeah Yeah. it's probably a mandolin which actually is kind of a throwback to purple drug but yeah just once again trent using the plucking of a string to actually serve as more of a purpose for like a percussion instrument or a percussion loop yeah i think that's a great that's a great feature that he's kind of mastered at this point um and then we've got adrian blue on this song riffing it up yep i mean this was also uh redone well kind of reused as I was talking about earlier in the social network uh, score um, it uh, appears on that soundtrack as the uh, so, the song Magnetic um, so do really they just kind of like edit it and cut it shorter or is there um, like it's additions little, to it yeah no you're you're right it, instead of that uh, kind of long intro uh, to uh, how it builds up with the uh, with the with the kind of mandolin type it, it kind of launches more into that with the the synth part um it both both versions are really good i actually do like both versions um a lot uh but yeah it's a manipulation of it i guess you could probably say it's a remix um but yeah i love this track i think whenever i listen to ghosts this is the the track that always stands out for me yeah 14 ghost 2 yeah yeah it's a it's a highlight Definitely. I've got three asterisks next to it. I, I'm a yeah. big fan. Uh, how many, when, when does it switch to Ghost 3? Uh, each volume is about nine tracks. Mm-hmm. So um, it would switch to Ghost 3 on track 19. Okay. I do have 16 Ghost 2. Um, yeah. It kind of reminds me of an Ogre song. Uh, oh, right. It has the little talk box effects. Adrian Blue is also on this song. Um, and a lot of this, like, straight like keyboard sense that we haven't heard from Trent Reznor, you know, in a long time, like definitely something, um, you know, definitely something, uh, 
that. It just sounds like he was, you know, sitting in a room uh, with very little effects on his on his keyboard, and just you know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It definitely sounds like yeah. a yeah. It sounds like an ogre beat, um, and it's reminiscent definitely of the ogre solo projects. Yeah. It's I mean, I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, this could be an ogre song. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun one. In in terms of style, Trent, don't say that I said ogre. Uh, <laughs> Or you ripped off Ogre because I don't want to, uh, you know, or get yelled at. Yeah. In that case, Mark Walk or... Uh, Mark Walk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Dave, Dave Walk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do also like 18 Ghosts too. Um, it was pointed out that it's the very reminiscent drum loop or drum beat of uh, the unreleased song of Now I'm Nothing. Um, now I'm Nothing is an unreleased track. They've done it live. Uh, in front of Terrible Eye for a long period of time, ever since the Pretty Hate Machine days. Uh, you could find it, live versions of it on YouTube. So just watching that earlier, because I remember hearing it when I used to get bootlegs of Nine Inch Nails, and I kind of totally forgot what it sounded like, because it's, there's never been a studio version, it's not readily available. Right. Um, but that song kind of seems like serving the purpose of like Pinion, or what they would do live, yeah. where it was like a build into something, and yeah. the lyrics seemed like almost like a collage of lyrics he would use in other songs Definitely. going on. So it's kind of like, in a weird way, it was like a very early, like, like a, just kind of a Nine Inch Nails, uh, uh, yeah, basically like a collage or a puzzle, and, and and they kind of built into their song. Very short song, a minute and a half or something like that. But. Yeah, I mean, this song does not sound like um, uh, Now I'm Nothing. No, but it did means. throw me back because I for, totally forget about Now I'm Nothing. Yeah. In fact, they used to have T-shirts with that under yeah. the Nin logo. Mm-hmm. I had him one of those shirts. Um, yeah, yeah, and it was a big, it was a big part of their live show. And I just, you know, it'd be cool if they ever just even had a demo version of that I could listen to, of what it was supposed to sound like in the studio. But whatever, you know, wishful, wishful thinking. But for now, we just got ghosts where they use the drum, <laughs> drum beat. <laughs> um, and that song has like a western guitar uh, kind of swagger to it. Um, I mean, it's a good atmospheric song. Um, I mean, it probably wouldn't make my top five, but right. it's it's worth checking out there's a couple songs here where there's some interesting guitar guitar stuff it's maybe a little more bluesy than uh than than trent would really ever do uh, i'm thinking of like uh go uh ghosts five you know some stuff that even would maybe even fit on like a twin peak soundtrack yeah a um, lot of that definitely i definitely felt that this whole thing could easily fit into uh episodes of twin peaks right right yeah yeah. Um, that, so does that round out Ghost Two? That rounds out Ghost Two. So you had earlier said Ghost Three is one of your favorites. So, so I mean, I just can't believe how many tracks. how many threes I have noted on here. Twenty one Ghost Three. Twenty one Ghost Three. Okay. So there's something in the song starts with a really cool xylophone, uh, uh, like ding 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 ding, ding kind of thing um, that I have heard in it aped so many times. I'm not saying anybody's actually directly ripping off. You know, Trent Reznor on this. Um, not like Kanye ripped off his light show. <laughs> As he said since, that we forgot to mention in the uh, the, the newscast. But uh, I, the, there has been a... I noticed in, like, the mid... Uh, the, like, the early 2010s uh, on, there's been some, there was some soundtrack work where they've incorporated a lot more xylophones as part of, like, a mood thing, which seem to have gone away for a while. And I definitely... When I hear this song, I hear... Uh, I hear it done perfectly. I, I love a good, I love a good xylophone to build the mood. 
Um, and then this is another example of the big saw bass, just a big, fuzzy, huge, huge, uh, you know, bow bass, um, much like the earlier track that we were talking about, and a driving beat like this one. This one's a fun one. I enjoy this song. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Oh, yes. Uh, this one has the marimbas. That's oh, right. Yeah, there you go. Marimbas. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, this actually is not a bad track, uh, now that I can recall. There's just there's aspects in here I feel... I feel I've heard I've heard other places that happen later. I don't know. This is a transformative track for me. It's it, it's good. They did play this one live a couple times. This would be a good one. Yeah, I would love to see how they do their just as a as a bass player. And I never claim to be a, a great musician, but I played jazz band in the in high school. I played the stand up bass, mm-hmm. and I loved playing it. And I would still play it today if I had one. Those damn things are expensive, and uh, and also also being a Primus fan. Yeah, hearing the sound you get from hitting that saw bass. I don't even know if that's what they're doing in the song. But uh, it could just be a bass with a distortion pedal. But um, it's very unique, and, and it's great. Uh, I like it. During this tour, and I want to say it was in the late summer of 2008, um, when they were touring for both this and The Slip, and since they didn't really do any domestic dates for Year Zero, it was kind of like three, uh, three albums rolled into one. Yeah, uh, for the tour, and uh, during this phase on bass, it wasn't Jordy White anymore. Mm-hmm. It was Justin Mendel Johnson, um, who plays bass in Beck's live band. Oh, cool! And um, so he's definitely known. He can definitely play some funk, and he's a really good musician. Uh, he also contributed heavily to M eighty three. Oh yeah. The, Great band. That's another great instrumental band. That is another good instrumental. There is vocals though on some songs. Yeah, yeah, most. I mean, most of their big hits, right? Uh, oh, I don't even know their big hits. You know, I uh, Midnight City, uh, the one that has the saxophone. Um, it was one of their later. It was okay. a double record. Yeah. God, I can't remember the name of the album. It's a catchy song. Yeah. Uh, but he was on bass. Uh, uh, Josh Freese was drumming for him at this point. Um, later, I think it was. Ilan Rubin, um, who filled in, but I think that was later on. Mm-hmm. I think Josh Freese saw him through the entire Lights in the Sky tour. Yeah. And around, because the following year is when um, they go and Trent says that Nine Inch Nails is pretty much done. Yeah. They do the Wave Goodbye tour, but we'll talk about that a little bit on the next episode. That's right. But this leads into 22 Goes 3, which is a uh, another great Another great track. 22, yeah. Ghost 3. Yeah. yeah. This wasn't on my list, but uh, tell me a, bit, a little bit about this one. Uh, this one has, um, it's kind of one of those, uh, I can't remember what album you said it sounds like. They had somebody trying to start a start a Jeep over and oh, over again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that was The Fragile. It was yeah. Complication. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, like, this one, it's like, you have an... Not Complication, it was... Uh, well, yeah, go ahead. You have an opposing piano and like this chunky guitar that's just false start after false start until they finally line up together, and then it's just a rock and jam through the song. I like this one. Yeah, you're right. This song definitely has the the, the kind of I wouldn't say call and response, but um, well, it's like two instruments that can't get like attuned until they finally do, and then it's a jam. And this yeah. song has uh, the drummer from Dresden Dolls on there, Brian uh, Viglione. Oh right, uh, right, right. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh, sorry if it's not. Um, 
but yeah, the out of key instruments with the drums kind of off doing their own thing. Uh, Trent Reznor, speaking of those drums, he told Brian uh, to uh, make his own drum kit, and so he came with like a big trash can um, and uh, yeah. a variety. I mean, it was like he was busking or playing sure. stomp, you know. I, I, I think it's a good time to mention it was a few years before this, but. We had some good friends, um, uh, also Nine Inch Nails fans, but good friends that were in a band called Sacramento the Band that I haven't thought about for a long time. Do you remember that? I do remember and that. They, and Your they, buddy John Boston was in that band, Yeah, right? he sang and, and Sarab played drums. Yeah. and uh, uh, That's it, right. And he had a toy drum set. He did. He, he had a toy drum set. He had a little toy snare and then he had Tupperware with like a, a mini drum pedal that he, would, that he would use for a kick and they would go on the light rail in town and they would just play on like the moving train until they got kicked off or they got made enough tip money. Yeah. Yeah. And they were called Sacramento the band. Great, great, great times. Yeah. Do you, do you know what happened to John Boston? <laughs> I don't know. Now's the time to talk about it. No, I actually have no idea. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, last I heard he had a, you know, a good, re, you know, good relationship and maybe a kid. So yeah. when's the last time you spoke with him? Oh, Long time, yeah. Were you more friends with him, or was Steve more friends with him, or was it? We kind were of more like, friends with Sarab and Todd, and he was Todd was he was just him. looped yeah. into yeah. that crowd. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> you no, look like Bill Hicks. I do. No, he oh, did. Oh, he he did. looked like Bill Hicks, John Boston. He did. Yeah. He yeah. always reminded me of a Bill Hicks, Pat and Oswald. Well, I cut that cut yeah. this part out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about a guy that I hope still alive. <laughs> Are you serious? No, I'm sure. We, saw, we don't have eyes on him? I'm sure he is, yeah. We gotta get some eyes on him. All right. Siri's talking to us. Sorry, yeah. folks. Okay. Do you have anything on Ghost 3 on here? Uh, the only ones that I have on Ghost 3 is 24 Ghost 3. Oh, good, because I have 24, so that's next up, anyways. Uh, it uh, has a sample from the Mothman Prophecies. It kind of sounds. The Richard like, Gere movie? Yeah. What? Have you seen this movie? I have not seen Mothman Prophecies, no. It's clearly good enough for Trent. Uh, but then again, so is Patriot's Day. <laughs> no, Patriot's Day might be a good one. It contains a sample for, uh, it says, get the door, get the door. Okay. Apparently, that's from that movie. Get the door! Get the door! Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine Richard, you're yelling at someone to get the door. Yeah. <laughs> There's a moth at the door! It's a big fucking moth! <laughs> Uh, see the Mothman prophecies and the Butterfly Effect. Uh, those are two movies that I like. I, and I, the Number Thirteen, starring Jim Carrey. Uh, I feel like those all came out the same year. I think. That, yeah, we'll have to. Uh, I, yeah, get I feel our like the Butterfly Pro- Butterfly Effect was a time travel thing with Ashton Kutcher, and Mothman prophecies was about a serial killer. Okay. And then the Number Thirteen was about the Number Thirteen popping up everywhere. I really have not seen stuff. any three of those movies. Right. That is not what I'm interested in. No, no. That's so funny that that's in here, though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of Jim Carrey thrillers, uh, one just came out that got terrible reviews called Dark Crimes. Um, <laughs> that I'm not, but uh, friend of the show uh, filters Richard Patrick. Not, I don't know if he's a friend of the show, but he did the score for that. And wow. he claimed he was influenced by his mentor, Trent Reznor. Interesting. That's wild. Uh, I won't be putting uh, if it's on Netflix. Maybe I'll sure. check it out. Give it a spin. Um, but I do like this one. It sounds like a. It would be at home on the Blade Runner soundtrack, right? Um, yeah. 
a lot of uh, aggressive drums and synth bass. You know what I put for this? Uh, I this is twenty four, right? I put yeah. um, oh, this is another Cortini jam. So the synth work is fantastic. Yep. And I actually thought this sounded like it could have been from the Doom video game. Like, yeah, I can there were some that. moments that felt like like especially when the guitar links up with the synth, mm-hmm. that feels like it could be a Doom score. Yeah. So anyway, this is a cool track. This is this is one of my tops. Yeah, I do enjoy this. And then the other one that I had from uh, Volume 3 was 26. So did I. So did I. Uh, It's got a really cool bass riff. Um, It's got, again, sweet drums. Yeah, they got a bunch of guitar riffs just repeating and building on themselves each time. It's uh, it's a good one. Uh, I uh, feel like uh, this one just kind of reminded me of, 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 of some of the really good instrumental remixes that it's got violins, synth pads, tambourine. Um, it, uh, some have said that the first half of the track is very reminiscent of Ripe with Decay. Um, you know, repetitive riffs. It's never been played live, but yeah. Now, I only have two tracks off of the third volume of Ghosts that, uh, that I really enjoyed. That's it for, for the third volume. Yeah. Of ghosts. Uh, when we get to the fourth volume, uh, this is my favorite section. Yeah, the there's some volume. really cool stuff on here. Um, so what's your first one off? Twenty eight. Twenty eight. Yeah, me too. There is there some weird thing on about this one? Um, Twenty eight. This is the one that I saw live. Yeah. Um, when I saw them do their ghost section, um, has banjo. Um, it's very. Uh, start it. It kind of reminds me of uh, sitting on the bayou and right. Swamp Dustrial. I mean, we, we, we did three episodes about Swamp Dustrial, you know, Nine Inch Nails, absolutely. But the way the 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 banjo is plucked, uh, it kind of reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean, the ride. Oh yeah, when you get oh, that's my favorite part of the ride. Yeah, my favorite part when you go through because it, it's, and you get the restaurants on one side. It's and super atmospheric. It is. It's 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 so rad in the in the bayou because because it, it's. It's the one moment where it's reality that fades into the fantasy of the ride. Yes. Like there could have been, you know, that was like it was historical. That I mean, you know, there was a historical time where right. there was like an American, American, you know, uh, location. It was the bayou. It was uh, you can this hear old thing creaking. Somebody on a chair creaking. Exactly. Like they, these things existed, and then it goes into Yoho, and it's right. And yeah, I, I love that part. That's great. Yeah, um, that's what this particular uh, this song kind of reminds me yeah. of for whatever reason because just the way the the banjos yeah. plucked and once again the plucking. I mean, uh, Trent was onto something with that plucking and and sampling it and turning it into a percussion. You know, it's it's great. Um, it, this is more of a realized song. Uh, or structured song um, with layered banjos and uh, it, did Steve like this song? Did he say he liked it before he passed um, out? Let's see. Um, no, he did you not. Know. Oh, he did. He did. Okay, he yeah. called this one Swamp Industrial. Oh, he good, did. good. He yeah, he made the one. connection. That's good. Um, his he's 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 doing. He's still with us. He's. Yeah. yeah, he's kicking his leg like he's like a puppy having. We a have a right mirror up. under his nose yeah, to make yeah, sure that yeah, he's. Uh, yeah, he's he's kicking his leg like a puppy having a dream right now. So he's he's happy. He's that's happy. right. Um, so why did I I wrote some weird note on here and maybe you is there I don't I'm not looking at the wiki page. Let's see it. I said something. This one is on us. Why did I write that? 
so this one is on us. It was um, recorded by the band's crew. Oh, okay. Um, I re- think though this one is on us as uh, the crew was recording this. In fact, now that I think about it, when I saw it live, um, I no, yeah, no. It, Trent Reznor instead of creating a uh, fully realized, um, you know, hiring a, a film crew to film the shows. Um, he was having the band uh, go through the audience and he handed out camcorders um, to his crew to actually go and film the, the, the concert. And he would do this in all different types of shows. And I think you can actually download the every individual show um, from this tour. Uh, I remember right before the show started, um, I remember seeing Rob Sheridan um, walking through the crowd with a camera, um, just getting the atmosphere, B-roll, if you will, probably, and uh, seeing him out just amongst the crowd. So can I, can I, can I ask, like, because having not been at this tour, was it cool to, like, I mean, to have a show that, granted, it's, I can tell from our conversations it wasn't one of your or Steve's like favorite eras of Nine Inch Nails, but like to have so many different albums kind of folded together in one, including like time for instrumental tracks, like cool instrumental tracks. Like, was that kind of cool or? Yeah, no. Um, you know, this may not have been my favorite era of Nine Inch Nails, but this actually, uh, when I saw this incarnation of the band live, um, I felt they were the tightest that I've ever seen Nine Inch Nails. Uh, it was a really cool set list. They had amazing visuals. I saw them twice on this tour. Um, the first time was with Justin uh, or J- Josh Fries on drums. The second time was with Ilan Rubin um, or Ian Rubin. I think it's Ilan. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, the, this particular uh, set that they played at Arco um, was phenomenal. I thought it was the tightest I've ever seen him. It was great. That's great. Yeah, because that yeah that band is you know was mm-hmm. fantastic, and it's just kind of cool that you know they were they had an album which could have just been kind of throwaway like these are just things we're working on you know use you know little instrumental tracks where they're like you know we're gonna we're gonna showcase them a little bit on this live show. And Robin Fink was back in the band, so Aaron North was out on guitar. Uh, Justin Mendel Johnson was on bass. Alessandro was on uh, synths and keyboards and guitars. Yeah. Josh Fries was on drums and Trent Reznor on Vox. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so that, yeah, so good. That's um, a great song. It is a good song. It is. Um, the next track that I enjoyed, it was track 29. Um, mm-hmm. Almost, uh, it's got that funky bass. Um it's uh, Statico, Staccato live drums. Um, Alessandro Cortini is on this song as well. It has little short horn stabs. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's never been played live, but I do enjoy this. I can't really describe it other than. Uh, Trent needs to, to use more horns in his songs. He always, his horn, his horn, his his usually synthesizer horn work is always fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if you just look at the becoming ruiner, ruiner. Oh, those ru- that ru- Actually, is it, do I did I make that mistake again? I think you did. God you, damn. You, know, you listen to the. You see, those, that's the trilogy on Downward Spiral. Is the is ruiner becoming? It is. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it's the one after becoming. 
big man with a gun. No, no I do not want no, this. I do not want this. Yeah. yeah, those three. You gotta listen to those three again. No, those, that and that's the thing. I think yeah. it's because of how solid that yeah. three is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I sometimes just blend them all together. Yeah. Oh, and don't forget about the horns in a in a pilgrimage. Of course, we can't. I mean, <laughs> those uh, horns are also called kazoos. <laughs> big old brass. <laughs> big old brass. Big yeah. old brass. Um, I don't know if you do. You have I have thirty one next. What do you have? Um, I I do have thirty one. Yeah, 30, 31 is my favorite from four. Um, it uh, I don't know. This one reminds me of Driver Down. Like once again, like I think it's a big reason this album's like. Yes, it does. It reminds me of that too. It was a big. Uh, this album appealed to me so much because like Driver Down has always been. One of my favorite Nine Inch Nails songs. I mean, granted, it's a Trent Reznor song. Sure. Nine Inch Nails song, but you know what I mean. Uh, and uh, this song, I mean, I think that's why, like, as I think I've always appreciated their instrumentals with their, with their, you know, vocal songs, pretty, pretty on an equal, equally. Now, doing this show, that's changed a little bit. This is fucking hard tonight, Mark, talking about these songs without lyrics. I know. This is hard. And, and, and doing this show, like, with the lyrics, like, that, you know... I've had a lot of fun with that, so this has been very hard. But, you know, before, I've always kind of put them as equals. So this song coming up, Adrian Blue killing it again, just doing yeah. some awesome, awesome, like, just shredding prog riffs over this, and, uh, and a very driver-down kind of driving, just pounding driving feel to it. This is my favorite song from the film. Um, yeah, I think I would probably agree with that. Um, although I do still really like... 28. I think it's yeah. just because of that. Uh, I was there, man. I saw it live. Oh, yeah. That's cool. That's um, cool the ones they decided to play live, too. Yeah. yeah. And then I've got 32, mm-hmm. uh, Ghost 4. Um, that one is. Let me check my notes. It's got a slurping sound effect, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, sitar. Uh, when I plug these in, it's definitely one of the more faster-paced songs. Um, Steve had, didn't like the song. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, when you're talking about instrumental music and um, without the kind of the lyrical the themes, yeah, it's hard. Um, it's 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 different. Um, but I, these are the songs that I would absolutely recommend you check out. Yeah. I don't have any more on here. I talk about the secret tracks a little bit. I do have um, the last one is 35 goes uh, four. And that one, um, it's baseline fucking banjo. What can I say? You know, it's, and that's it. They had a banjo pastiche on this, on this fourth one that I think is great. This one was uh, nominated for a Grammy. Uh, it was nominated what? for Best Rock Instrumental Performance. Wow. Yep. That's amazing. That is pretty amazing. Apparently didn't win. Who are uh, they up against? No idea. Wow. I know. I didn't even know that was a category. It's up probably obviously not a uh, televised. Yeah. Best Rock Instrumental Performance. I mean, if... They were up against uh, Coldplay. Coldplay's a interlude. <laughs> we're trying EDM now. Anyways... Oh, that's the Viva. That's where they had their Sgt. Pepper jackets on. Is that the one? Coldplay can suck it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there were a couple. Uh, if you bought, what was it, the box set, you got two secret 
tracks. You got two extra tracks. Which box set are we talking? The deluxe edition, or are we there, talking there, about the three hundred dollars There is a thirty-seven one? and a thirty-eight. There's a there's a thirty-seven ghosts and a thirty-eight ghosts. Yeah, that came on something. I, I've heard them on YouTube, and um, I believe these these came um, on the yeah on the uh, I either I think probably the deluxe and 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 of course the the three hundred dollar deluxe, <laughs> super deluxe. Um, yeah. They're fine. If you haven't heard them, check them out on, uh, on YouTube. Um, 37's like a, just a slow like synth. Uh, you, synth's basically just chanting at you for a few minutes. Um, 38's got a little bit more to it. It's got, a, it's got like these cooing sounds, a funky drum beat, uh, a lot of feedback, and just synth noise shredding, mimicking a guitar. These are clearly, you know... I wouldn't say these are any worse than some of the some of the tracks we didn't mention, but um, you know, just something they didn't decided not to use, maybe because it was sounded too much like other songs on here, or not you know for time or whatever. But they threw them on the deluxe edition. So, anyways, there are some secret tracks. Check them out. So that pretty much wraps up this album. It does. Um, you know, it's thirty six tracks. You can uh, check it out. It's an hour and fifty minutes. Um, it's not bad. It's definitely for the Nine Inch Nails completist rather than someone who's just a casual listener. Right. Um, it's high quality music, but don't just go into it with expectations that it's not a traditional album of any sort. Right. It's an album that's an oddity. It's uh, it's not something I would ever reach for, but since I'm a completist, obviously I'm a fan. I'm going to mm-hmm. buy it and then, you know, pour over it like I did. If you made a best of Nine Inch Nails playlist, there'd be maybe four or five tracks off here that maybe wouldn't even fit in your top 20, but would be kind of fun as transition songs yeah. in between other things. Yeah. Um, as a as a fan of instrumental music, I will say there's some great songs on here. There's some songs that could be more complete. I mean, they're very short. So a lot of songs don't get to breathe don't get to, you know, if you like instrumental music like Mogwai and, and, and Godspeed You Black Emperor, I mean, those songs get 13 minutes to tell their story. Uh, some of these get to tell a story. Some those, of these don't. The thing with Godspeed You Black Emperor, I mean, some of their songs are 20 minutes long. Right. But they take you through uh, different movements and different uh, dynamics. And that's another band that it's not something I can just easily throw on as I'm... No. Driving to you work. You got to commit to the whole thing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's another one that you are in a contemplative mood and you want to put something on. And right. Go, you know, dive introspectively. Yeah. But if you like instrumental music and you like Nine Inch Nails, it's kind of a no brainer because it sounds like Nine Inch Nails. It really does. It, he's dealing in the same octaves and same key signatures that definitely strike you as like Nine Inch Nails riffs. Yeah. Um, you see stuff that he fleshes out to debatably to a better degree. And when he does soundtrack work with Atticus Ross, very soon in the near future. Yeah. Um, and the thing with the soundtrack work, yeah, this is the precursor to all of that. Probably proving that no, we can probably do this. Um, I, all of that Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross work, um, through social network, girl with a dragon tattoo, Patriots day, Vietnam war. Um, I think that's all of them. Um, they're not music that you can just throw on and gone girl. uh, Gone Girl. That's right. That's another one. They all have their moments, but it's not something that I would, right. uh, you right. know. But it's clearly very, very good music. But I'm just kind of wondering if this was uh, it for the completists. It's great. Um, maybe as I had said earlier, it would have been it would have resonated with me a little bit better if it was either 
divided into smaller chunks. Like you've got volume one out one year and then it just kind of like becomes a annual thing. You know, that would have been cool. That would have been cool. If like maybe like between each album, it was, there was ghost a time. ghost. It was ghost time. It right. Was his, you know, it, yeah, that, that would have actually been really cool. That way you have a little time to digest it and, yeah, you know, maybe even make them longer. They're only nine tracks. Like maybe they keep the nine tracks, but maybe make a couple of the better songs a couple minutes longer. Have more time to explore. Right. Yeah. There's definitely there's definitely room to improve. I mean, I love these, and I've, <laughs> I I could have been annoying a couple years ago and said, oh, it's one of my favorite Nine Inch Nails albums. I. But it's just two hours, and it's I, too long. I like to it. devote to yeah. just one uh, yeah. record sitting. Yeah. And that's why when it's done, um. Some of it feels like I'm, it's a chore, and other times I'm like, this is an absolute enjoyable experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the songs that I like when they pop on, I get sucked in right away. It's, it's, you know, it's yeah. Um, what would you rate this one? Out of <clears throat> so I'd give this, nails? yeah, I'd give this one, uh, I'd give this one five out of nine. Five out of nine. Um, so I counted off about 14 songs that I really enjoyed out of 36. Um, I would probably do a four out of nine just mm-hmm. based off the re-listenability of it. Um, I tend to only do it whenever I'm doing a run-through through the discography. It's not something like I'm ever in the mood for. Um, I appreciate the fact that this album exists, but um, in terms of how it uh, it just feels like a sketch. It feels like everything is a sketch pad and um, he wanted to show the listener and the fans like right. maybe this is kind of the process that we go through whenever we actually release something that is more um, fit, um, structured, um, finely tuned. I, I, I think it's a lot better like for instance right now it's on my phone along with all like a lot of other music. So if I'm listening to all my songs on shuffle mm-hmm. and like one good track pops up and I'm, it's not like I'm committing to an entire disc, but like one good track pops up. Yeah. I'm loving it for that one track and then it goes on to something else. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's not as much of a, of a commitment and it's great for that. Like sprinkling right. it with other music is perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. that's probably the preferred way to, I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't say there's a preferred way <laughs> yeah. to listen to it, but yeah. it's just one of those things that maybe small doses uh, right. is probably the, what the doctor right. ordered. Right. It's not like, it's not like you're listening to some, some instrumental music where it's like a, it's like a mo- like each each part is a movement and it's telling like one big composition. Each song is its own like two to four minute composition. Yeah, and so that's not like you can even get the benefits of uh, of, of of listening to like a full you know a full movement by listen- by putting it on. So right, and then yeah. Steve before he had passed out, his final words were four point seven five. Yeah, so we know he's holding up. He's holding up nine fingers. No, 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 no. <laughs> nine fingers. No, no. Well, there you here you have yeah. it, folks. Nope. This is Steve's favorite record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, so this is a weird episode, uh, listeners. Uh, thanks for going on this ride with us. Um, it's kind of like how we can't really do this one normally, anyways. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but if you're a huge fan of this record, we'd love to hear your reasons. Yeah. Why. And, 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 and not in a questioning way. I believe that there are good fans out there of this record and probably for very good reasons. Uh, I mean, when, I've heard people like it's, it's, you know, it's poetic. It's, it's, it's exactly what needed to be done. Um, it's just, you know, uh, I don't know. It it doesn't need to necessarily. Uh, be I wouldn't call for it everyone. A, I wouldn't call it a palate cleanser, 
Yeah. Like they were setting the stage for new stuff because I wouldn't even know if like the music, the music in the next two albums are even terribly more interesting yeah. than what came before either. So I wouldn't know if that's a good argument, but well, I think, you know, with Trent Reznor leaving Interscope and Universal and a major record label and releasing this somewhat independently, um, uh, I think this is what he was probably always wanting to do. And as he's honing his craft as a musician, um, you know, yeah. he probably needed to get this out of his system. Right. He said there was going to be more volumes, but that was 10 years ago. There's not well, been anything else. That's what the that. soundtracks probably ended up being. Yeah. He, I'm sure he was scratching that itch with those. So, yep. And it's a great, I mean, if this was the catalyst for that direction, we'll talk about it more when we get there, but I, it's a true collaboration with Atticus Ross, right? And his contributions to the later stuff, um, specifically the trilogy, of EPs, I think, uh, is a return, or not necessarily a return, but a transformation of sound that I love, and I'm so happy that they went in that direction. So I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about necessarily the soundtracks, although I love those, but just the the uh, the the collaboration between the two of them, what that evolved into, starting here. So is yeah, awesome. between this uh, sandwiched between the trilogy, we've got the slip and hesitation marks, right? And then everything else after that has been either soundtrack work, um, the trilogy, how to destroy angels, of EPs, and how to destroy angels. Um, but that's it for now. Um, I again, thank you for uh, listening. We love your feedback. Please hit us up on our Facebook page, yeah. on Instagram. On Twitter, all you can find us on Pod Like a Hole on all three platforms. Yeah. Uh, Pod Like a Hole podcast with uh, underscores between each word on Instagram. Uh, we're on Twitter, uh, Facebook. Um, get a lot of action there. Appreciate all the all the comments there. Definitely th- big thanks to Greg Walgast for his interview of this episode and uh, um, and his insight on this album. So we hope we've brought you closer to Pod.